What's up, everyone? This is Shiragam, and I want to welcome you to episode 29 of the Hashishin, brought to you by Rosin Evolution, the best bags in the game. You can visit them at rosinevolution.com. As always, thank you for tuning in. Today, we're repping the Midwest again, and we get to hear from Michael, aka Macho Melts. And it was a real pleasure connecting with him. He has a great vibe, and you can just hear in his voice how passionate he is about cannabis, which is always exciting to me. We discuss his early experiences with hash and how he was able to witness firsthand the plant's medical capabilities in helping keep his own mom seizure-free for several years. So we touch on cannabis as a medicine, growing in living soil, KNF ferments, the Barbara Bud, and a bunch more. So definitely stay tuned for that. Thank you to all the kind and generous people that make up our community on Patreon. You guys are the lifeline of the project. So everyone who enjoys listening to the podcast, for whatever you may get out of it, thank each and every person that is part of our community for allowing us to keep putting these together. Also to the people that have grabbed any gear from us recently, thank you so much. It means a lot. As the people who are already part of the community know, hopefully we love showing our love back to them for their support in any way we can, whether that's creating more content, exclusive content, a chat room, artwork that reflects our love for our culture. So if you want to check out our Patreon, you can do so at patreon.com backslash the hashish in that's the hashish inn or our link is in the instagram bio at the hashish in again at the hashish inn on instagram shout out to another big reason that we are able to still keep the platform going our sponsors thank you to our main sponsor rosin evolution who started rocking with us before people wanted to rock with us i was excited to work with them at the time because they had a great product and a good rep but over time we've become homies and they've showed their consistency in always treating me right. And that consistency tells me everything I need to know about their company. Because after all, a company is only as solid as the people behind it. And I can tell you, they're super solid. They take care of their customers and their products speak for themselves. So when it's time to squish your gold and trust the process to the best bags in the game and one of the best brands in cannabis, Rosin Evolution, who again, you can visit at rosinevolution.com or on their Instagram, rosinevolution100 and use our savings code, the letters T-H-I, the number 710, that's T-H-I 710 to save 5% on your order with Rosin Evolution. Shout out to Powers Plates, the small batch rosin press company. You can visit them at powersplates.com. That's P-O-W-E-R-S plates.com or on Instagram at Powers Plates. They're the highest grade plates on the market. Hopefully by now, you know that the guys behind the plates are from the culture and their gear is for the culture. There's no gimmicks behind their plates. They're the most solid plates on the market. Their design is beautiful, making them the best looking plates on the market as well. And a reminder that they just knocked off $100 off their pro kits. Plus, you can save another $75 with our exclusive savings code, the letters THI, all together standing for the Hashishin. So get yourself your favorite hash makers, favorite hash makers rosin press at powersplates.com and use our savings code, the letters THI, to save $75. Shout out to the homie Six Star Society, your solventless apparel company. If you love hash and you want cool gear to show your love for the hash, visit them at sixstarsociety.com 
That's sixstarsociety.com. What's cool to me is that they have something for everyone, whether you need a dab mat or whether you want to fill your space with an amazing canvas image of Full Melt shot by the legend Eric Nugshots. They got you covered. And obviously they have all the gear you need from hoodies to hats. Visit them on Instagram at six underscore star underscore society. Or again, visit them at sixstarsociety.com. They currently have a sale going on on a lot of their gear. And you can also save by using our savings code, the letters T-H-I, to save 5% on your order. And last but not least, shout out to the homies Pele Polare, who you can visit at pelepolareco.com. I've seen a few people out there rocking their triple thick Pele Polare stainless steel washing vessels in the field. And although some of the conditions don't seem incredibly favorable to making hash, people are still coming away with nice looking product. It's nice when you have a company like Pele Polare that focuses on making your process as a hash maker more efficient, or in some cases, allowing you to do proper washing in environments that otherwise would not allow you to do the work that you needed on site. So if you need help in keeping your vessel colder for longer, whether it's their high-grade thermal jacketing systems or their new stainless steel washing vessels, visit them at pelepolareco.com or on their Instagram at pele underscore polare and use our savings code, the letters T-H-I, to save 5% with Pele Polare. I really appreciate you listening and I certainly hope you enjoy the episode. Today, I'm super excited to be here with Michael, aka Macho Melts. You can follow him on Instagram at Macho Melts. What's up, dude? Thank you for taking the time to talk, man. Yeah, of course, man. It's a pleasure to be on here for sure. Always appreciate everything that you do. And uh, just, you know, uh, speaking with you and stuff is always a pleasure, man. Respect it for sure. Well, dude, yeah, like I told you earlier, it's it's a trip for me uh, that people even think anything like that. But yeah, it's cool. And and so, yeah, I, I appreciate you coming on and I appreciate you talking to me a few times even before this to kind of get to know each other a little bit and one of the things that definitely stood out to me about you is your passion for cannabis. And I feel, you know, this could be a nice way to start our conversation. I'm going to read you something that you reposted a while back on Instagram by Second Generation Genetics. The quote said, these plants have helped me maintain my health in a manner that I would have never been able to achieve on my own. These plants have made me a better person. They've helped me live a happier life period. And the comment that you added to that was almost as truthful as it gets. So tell us which part of the statement you connect with and what part of the statement you would expand upon. It truthfully, I feel like, I don't know, just working with, especially cannabis, just growing plants in general, being in that aspect of that natural state of like watching what plants and obviously animals and things do is it's like calming to say the least. And, but like, it just, I feel like it's definitely shaped my character beyond what I see from the plant with just who I try to be as a person. It's just a real cool environment to be a part of. And so like, I feel like a lot of people lose focus of that or just like, it's not like it's taken for granted, but it's kind of like forgotten about type thing, you know, over time or so weird I guess, perspective to look at it from too, for some people. That's just, I feel, I feel like that's how the quote feels to me. It's just really, it's like, 
kind of changed me as a person the plant has or just like looking at how cannabis helps other people and then like how watching the what the environment and just different plants that you're around and ones that have energy that you're even attracted towards more you know from growing them or from smoking them you know the, the effect of them alone too so uh, it's just a beautiful thing so yeah and you know going back to the idea of passion you told me something interesting in one of our conversations and you said that your passion for cannabis you feel like has kind of held you back actually because outside of that you feel like being passionate about something would typically lead you to make a business out of it or be able to in a way possibly succeed whatever that may mean to you so tell me what you meant by your passion for cannabis holding you back i mean it just being a thing more of a hobbyist style thing for being able to provide for what I felt were really cool friends and people that truly appreciated the res used it as medicine or in any form, I feel like smoking cannabis or whatever, however you want to use it, like dabbing it or whatever, if it works for you. And it's like, to me, it's in some sort, it can be used medicinally almost in every, every aspect of it. So for me to be able to connect with that and um, just have passion towards being able to provide for the people that like I appreciated what they did and stuff like that. Even people that just really appreciated hash, you know, it was never really an effort to be like, Oh yeah, I just want to do as much of this as I can. Or, you know, it was more like I'm comfortable with who I am as a person with this plant, what I'm doing to be happy, you know, from all of that. I don't know. That's like, I feel like the major, at least goal for me with this was just to be able to find something that could, I could live off somewhat sustainably and honestly just be able to grow cannabis and wash it a little less paranoid. <laughs> it would, to be honest with you, at the end of the day, it was like, that was really the original goal with all of this, just be able to grow wheat, man, you know? So yeah, any day I'm able to do that, that's all I could say is like what it really it was for me. But in a sense, I feel like it is a business standpoint. If I looked at my hash like that or anything like that, I've held myself back for sure in a sense with it, you know, but it's never really been like a true goal of mine. So it was, it was really never something that was like the main focus of where I approached everything to do with growing weed or washing hash. It was to be honest with you, just be able to smoke good hash and know where it came from and have some homies like, you know, that I already knew. And if I could help out some people that I knew that was that was where it was for me. But at the same time, there's always, you know, that ability to want to do like more with what you're capable of doing, you know? So it's, it's definitely something is how I look at that, like sense of passion over like, you know, kind of just like letting that fuel where I went, but not focusing on it becoming a profitable thing or, you know, extremely profitable thing or something like that being the main focus. Cause it could drive, a good thing from that aspect, I guess, too. But it's it, like, I don't know, it just was never a focus of mine. Like, you know, and so it's just wild. That's how I look at it. It's, I'm definitely, I consider myself more hobbyist uh, hash maker for sure. Still definitely on the level I'm on with it. It's just, it's fun to be able to wash hash and watch the plant through the process and do that and not have to worry about just always washing hash or keeping up with too much of a garden to really focus on the hash production or something to have a team or whatever. It's like, for me, I really do appreciate 
every part of the process. I remember hearing Gotten Shaquille say that one time and it really, it stuck with me. I remember like him just being like, yeah, like I, I jar the hash. Like I watch it grow. Like, I'm just like, man, that shit meant a lot to me. I'm like, man, that's like, that's what it's about. Like, that's like what I like to do. So. You mentioned the word happiness or being happy or this making you happy. And in one of our prior conversations, if I'm remembering this correctly, you equated happiness to success, which is something I kind of mentioned earlier that may mean something different to everyone. So would you say that for you being successful is just living your life and feeling happy? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, for sure. I mean, as much as you're capable to, you know, everybody, there's only so much that you're able, able to like, I guess, focus that on and live a life, you know, it's like, you obviously still have priorities or things that get in the way or obviously that's not like it, but at the end of the day, I mean, that's definitely one of the things I feel like you should put first in your life. It's definitely obviously your happiness and at least, you know, it's like, I mean, there's so many, it's the mindset. I know that for sure. It's the mindset too. It's like, we all have to focus on that better. I know I do. And, and just in general, like with like the way everybody perceives stuff is differently for sure. It's just a wild thing to think about. But yeah, like the idea of success to everybody is a different image for sure. And I mean, there's definitely like the more conventional, I guess, for lack of better words of like what a lot of people look at success like, but it's everybody's different path towards that. It's really, I feel like at the end of the day, I mean, where you're leading towards should be happiness. It's like, I feel like that's, you know, it sounds, that sounds like right. (laughs) But just funny to think about but yeah and you know going back to this point that you were talking about a little earlier about connecting with people experiences and then going back to something you again said to me that stood out that you were like cannabis has also provided me a life that I could have not imagined but it sounds like it's more about these connections and or how you value these experiences versus for example, in this case, an accumulation of wealth. Yeah. Um, a hundred percent. Like that is definitely, it's definitely been, I don't know. It's like, I feel like, uh, definitely being able to meet people through this, all people that I consider friends and like, obviously basically family through shit like this even, but just connect with people that it, the plant like helps them, you know, people that I rarely get to connect with, but people I've never even met personally and stuff like that. Even it's, it's just one of those things that's honestly kind of baffling at times to be like, man, that's really cool to hear, see, you know, multiple times I've done that and been like, never in my life thought that that would be a thing, you know, where I'm like, damn, like whether it was my hash getting somewhere to somebody that I never expected and, and I respected. So to see them be able to, you know, appreciate Ash, like you include it, you know, and like just many people, it's, it's one of those things that I'm like, it's, that's just a beautiful thing to be a part of, you know, um, it really puts that community aspect into it. And I feel like that's a search of what I definitely like always loved and looked at as this is the cannabis culture, you know, or whatever you, however you want to look at it. Obviously all the respect and appreciation to all the people that got the plant to where it was. And so all those people that had like a true, like actual, I feel like movement appreciation for the plant to make it what it was 
you know, that com- that was a real community aspect and it was based off word, like word to mouth type stuff and just like somebody else being able to speak for you basically and say, yeah, that guy's, he's, you know, he's cool or whatever. And just where it all it came from, I feel like that it just has to obviously like be some weight in some part of everybody's goal with this, you know, is uh, where it came from shouldn't never be forgotten, I guess, in a sense, you know. Because I mean, a lot of people still live even like that lifestyle right now, where it's not, it's not like good for everybody. You know, it's not good for everybody everywhere, anyways. But like, we take a lot of people take the plant for granted. That's for sure. I feel like, like what they're able to do. You know what I'm saying? Like that should never. It's a blessing to be able to do anything that you like to do. You know, no matter where it spawns from, even as a hobby. You know, it's like. If you have a real passion towards something, I feel like it'll always end up like weighing into where your path goes in life. Like if you're like get way too into something, that's definitely like going to involve you to maybe like fall out of something else that you're into or do something else that like, you know, drove you to the point to do something. And it's like, yeah, everything could, I, I, I guess, kind of become obsessive or something that you like, you really drive towards. So it's just crazy to think about for sure. Like, what you said about just it being surreal is like, that's an understatement for sure with, with weed, you know, it's like, it's crazy. The, the hash world and being a part of it. Yeah, it is, man. And it's like an ever changing landscape, you know? And, but I think out of it, out of the whole thing, the coolest thing is like this really deep connection you have not only with the plant, but, but with all the people that, like you said, your friends and people have become like almost family to you and, and these deep connections you've developed. And to be honest with you, I've told you this part of my reasoning for talking to you is because over the last few years, while I've been working on the project, I've had a few people reach out to me that are friends, patients, whatever, however you may see that of yours. And they're like, Hey man, you know, we'd really like to hear from Macho because He's just like a really good dude. And, you know, in one instance, I don't remember the details, but there was like a husband who reached out to me who his wife had some kind of, I think, pain issue or something maybe. And he was like, look, the barb or the barber bud is the only thing that helps her. And he's like a super compassionate dude. And like, he's about the people that he's, helping out. And so that really resonated with me. And you spoke about this all kind of a little earlier, you know, these these connections with these people and how much you value that. And so I'm curious, back to the idea of cannabis possibly being a medicine or cannabis for sure being a medicine. What are your thoughts on cannabis being a medicine versus being a medicine and recreational, is there a line and are there genetics like the Barbara bud that tend to be more quote unquote medicinal than others? Yeah. I mean, like for sure, I guess there's definitely a ton of different medicinal aspects from plants, like all countless plants just having different abilities, especially even just for the patient and, you know, you sometimes aren't going to see, or you definitely aren't always going to see the same response from the same type of like condition you're trying to help somebody with, whether it's just even some like 
you know, a real generic pain or something that a lot of people see. But um, in general, to see that from a plant, yeah, it's like I feel like you can definitely justify plants being medicinal on different aspects. But as far as like legality switching purposes of, of it, I don't personally, I think it's, I think it should just be a cross the border basically of, you know, this is, we should tax this like this and it shouldn't be some absurd tax <laughs> and we shouldn't have to separate all of this for ability to grow it. Like you can, I mean, I get it kind of the system, it makes sense too, but uh, at the same time, like, shouldn't it all be definitely graded the same and everything like that and then just basically put onto the market for the patient to decide and you can you know because i've heard so many countless stories from people that tell me how unfortunate it is for them that they have to they only have so much they can get through the medical side of something that they enjoy at the dispensary that they go to and then for them to not be able to they say they have to pay some absurd tax to pay to get it on recreational side if if it runs out or whatever but it's something that they use i'm like that's absurd. You know, it's like, I get it's from two different gardens. So for them to separate it already into the dispensary is I feel like it's, it has to be done because it came from two different gardens. So they're metrically badged differently. So everything goes into different batches, but it's just unfortunate like to see that for on that consumer level, I guess of like actually in a market comparing medical to recreational but as far as the plant yeah I mean, you can look at it definitely where there's just certain plants that have properties that a lot of people gravitate towards or they find re- the same relief from like something i've seen a lot of people tell me about just hash in general like and i, spe- I feel like especially full melt but even just rising depends the person but i've just heard it a lot it's like like uh stomach pains yeah, i've heard that a lot from a lot of people that uh that smoke hash and i'm like damn that's crazy same with like obviously barbs insane. Like I've heard so many people tell me knee pain from even especially just from long driving that don't know each other at all that are just, you know, they tell for them to come out and even tell me that it's like, I know that some people are a little more like, I mean, dude, I've, I've helped people that they told me that they're, they're like grandpa was mowing the grass again and stuff. And he hadn't done that in forever, but he was claiming that the pills that we were giving him weren't working. And I'm like, <laughs> you know like that guy doesn't even understand that so of course i wouldn't have heard back from somebody like that about like hey this helped like and so for me to the messenger i guess of it that's what it is for me a lot with this plant it's like i if i have any experience that can help somebody else with anything that like you know what i'm saying but word of mouth that's all it, it, it needs to be known and you can weigh it how you weigh it it doesn't matter if you take what my experience with the plants the same as yours no it's not always gonna be like that's what i love about especially hash making, especially when I got into it, at least like, you know, it was even now, now I feel like it's definitely more rosin that has the more art side of hash, at least that has the spotlight of it with like more development, just because I mean, like water hash became way more of just a freeze dried thing and then squish into rosin. And so then rosin became the main focus. So a lot of people at that point was like the imitation of consistencies of other things, which is amazing. I'm definitely not hating on it at all. It's everything of it has been so fun to be a part of. That's what I like about the plant. I feel like that was such a revolutionary point when soil growth solvent listed the flower rosin for the first time. And like, everybody was like, whoa, because it was just one of those things that it kind of changed it. Like I remember an icy mag at that point. I, I didn't see it at first, like the post of it and stuff, but 
back in high school, I remember some kid that was like older than me one time taking hash and he was like, you want to make that bubble hash? Cause it wasn't bubbly. Like it was just like some really like super bricked out hash that we had gotten probably even just dry sift is what I imagined from dry ice and bubble bags. So it was just like as much as they can get. And it was just would sit on the, sit on a screen or sit on like, you know, the top of some flour and like kind of cake over the flour. So you just smoke it forever, you know? And my buddy's like, you want to make that bubble hash? And I'm like, I'm like, sure. And he like put the hash in like this, like hot Pyrex. Like I said, I want to say put boiling water in the Pyrex and poured off the boiling water and then took the hash and he started, or he put the hash in the water. I think I can't even remember for sure, but he squished the hash to the bottom of the Pyrex and then poured out the water. The water wasn't already there. And he scraped up all the shit off the Pyrex and we smoked the fucking like little bit. He got back off the hash and kept the hash and the, you know, it was like some super bubbly hash. And it was just funny to me to think about that. Cause when Rosin became a thing, that's like where I went like, once hash was a thing, I was like, yo, that's funny. Like, that's what I thought about. I'm like, man, that was like technically like <laughs> the original kind of rosin in a sense, you know, but not really, but it's just everything that this plan has done. You know, people, people really thought out of the box for, for years now, you know, it wouldn't be where it would if it wasn't like that, you know? So it's really wild to think about. And I think that's something that it definitely gets forgotten about and overlooked by a lot of people. Cause I mean, generationally it switches, obviously and a lot of people don't care enough. It's not that they don't care enough. It's nothing. It just does. They don't think about it. Like, Oh yeah, I should probably like read about stuff before, like connect with people, you know, that did stuff that I didn't or have been here way before I have like, that's who shaped it. And I mean, just the being a part of it is like, it's enough to, to do that. I feel like. Yeah, man, I agree. It's pretty exciting kind of where everything is going. But at the same time, like you've said a few times in different ways, I think it's important to pay respect to the people that that have got, you know, the plant to where it is now. And yeah, I think th- things are changing so fast that maybe you're you're right. Like people are sometimes taking some things for granted. And yeah, for sure. You know, when and feel or soil grow and press that bud it definitely was a game changer i think like it just was like a almost seems like a bulb went off and was like oh yeah you know and i was just thinking <laughs> about this in a random way the other day i was cooking or something and i was pouring some olive oil uh into the pan and i was like well i mean yeah it's not that different it's just that I think trichomes were, are just so minute that it's not like thinking like, hey, we'll press a grape and it'll squeeze out its oil, right? I mean, it's the same kind of concept. It's not anything so revolutionary, but to apply it to something so minuscule and then be able to replicate that over and over and automate it maybe at some point or if not already, it becomes a very different thing. and again, going back to this whole conversation of like hash, it's like, that's what made hash viable. That's what made hash cool. Because like you said, now you have a way to dry it much more efficiently, quickly, and you can just press it. And the other thing is like, if you're not growing for melt, which I definitely want to talk with you about at some point, but you know, you, you never know what the heads even look like. 
at that point, as long as you're seeing good numbers to squish, then yeah, there's a lot of people that just grow for that purpose. And um, I mean, a lot of stuff that's going to do good yield is going to have quality full melt if it's grown like, I mean, certain ways for sure, I feel like help produce better phenotypes that will do that. Honestly, you just put like the biggest smile on my face with everything you just said, though, because the biggest thing that made me realize was like, I've been a part of like a revolutionary thing with hash that's like, you know, been so growing, not that it wasn't before, but it's been especially now just because it has more of a exposure to it. So people have gravitated towards it or become more accepted. The cannabis plant in general for hash, it's just like obviously more accepted on every level of it. So it's, but yeah, I mean, to be a part of like, especially solventless, I feel like, like not that hydrocarbon extracts haven't changed dramatically too, because they have way hard on their own level, but to be a part of the solventless thing for me, like that's the only one that I've really, I've experienced it all and have friends that do hydrocarbon stuff, but it's not the same for me, obviously to like, to be knowledgeable about, or not even, you know, for really just be, passionate towards wanting to learn about to at least apply it for my level of like what I'm doing you know it's crazy how really I feel like that that's what really the plant you know it's just been hash in general now has been crazy the focus on it in general between the canvas community and evolution of it has been wild for sure yeah no I agree man I always like to talk about people's staple strain so not to harp on it, but let's talk about the barb. Let's start by telling us a story of how you acquired these genetics, if we may. Yeah, so basically the barb, if, you, if people don't know, it's Great Gardener. It's uh, Afghan Shishka Berry. Basically, for me, just to be able to watch the plant was such a blessing. It made me think about watching a Bowman video from so long ago of him watching that and Renee and just him being like, I remember some of the earlier videos of me just watching and or like when I was watching in general that I watched of just Barb being spoke about and like how it was just such a good full melt strain because it was spoke about way before rosin. That's all I know. Like, I remember it just being a thing that people were like, yeah, this plant is like good. So it was cool to be able to have that ability to be like, yeah, like, uh, like I remember the first time I picked it up to wash, it was from Optimal Garden. He had gotten it basically through some people. I don't really want to <laughs> express it all because it's just like one of those things. But it originally, I think, came from Michigan Made Melts. I think Michigan Made Melts hunted it, but I don't think they kept it or ever washed it. That's at least what I was told. But Honestly, Barb doesn't hit crazy numbers. I think the best it's ever hit after rosin was like 4%, which is really good in my eyes. Like I'll I'll take anything that's 3%. And to be honest, if it's worth it in a sense of like something like that. And yeah, Barb does really good weight wise. So a lot of people just look at a percentage and they think that's like everything. I mean, Barb's probably not the best example of it in general because it's definitely more of a patient plant. It grows slow. It's definitely bushy. It has a real Afghan dominance to it from the Afghan in it. If you follow, if anybody follows Great Gardener, I'm sure they see him posting crosses of it all day. And it seems like that's definitely what he selects out of um, for it is away from that structure of it. 
because it is a really leafy plant. It just stays short and stout, but it's really easy to please. Like you don't have to do much to grow it. So for my eyes, like it's a true patient plant. Like it doesn't have any focus of like, if you have no focus of production in a sense, it's a good one. At the same time, like it does really good, like throws, it's a chunky plant. So it'll give you a lot of weed if you want to let it, if you want to keep up with it. And it's really not like that annoying. It's just not the most, it grows a lot like Death Star, which is another one that I feel like is definitely, it's definitely like more of, you have to be focused in your gardens a little more, I feel like personally. But I don't know, they're still really fun and not like the craziest to deal with. So they're, especially for what they are, it's like, there's no way that you could sacrifice or not run it. So, but yeah, it's, I've just seen so much help from that barb, like in general, you know, like crazy how many people have reached out to me about that plant, like from people with Tourette's to anxiety to multiple pain, just so much shit, dude. I'm just like, man, that's such a blessing. Cause I'd always heard that. Even if you read about it, I feel like a con- great gardeners, like, like original post of it when he put out seeds of it it was at least what most people will just pay copy and paste if they're selling seeds still and it's like or just information you know out there but yeah it's it's always said something about pain and so to see that was a dramatic thing for me because i was just like yo like at the time it was definitely one of those things i was like before i was really washing it it was one of those coveted things like somebody was like, I only want to run this. And I mean, still a lot like that, unfortunately, kind of, but not really. Like I'm trying to give it out to people in a sense, like to people that I appreciate. And I think that will appreciate the plan, not just try to profit off of it. it. In my eyes, it's like the only thing I'm trying to not focus on with it because that's what so many people, and I, I'm not trying to knock a market in any way. If you want to sell clones, sell clones, but it's just not my... I'm thankful and I'm saying this from at least being in the perspective of where I, I like I've been able to, I've been blessed to meet the people I have, but like I've never paid for a clone. And so I feel like I've, I never want to make somebody pay for a clone. It's never been my thing. I just don't understand it. Like I would pass the pass a plant to somebody almost any time. If, if I know that it's not, that's not their purpose. Like, you know, it's like, and I don't, I'm once again, I'm not trying to like, hate on somebody that runs a nursery and shit like that because everybody has a piece to the puzzle with this like a hundred percent and that's like i get that but it's just like for me i can't justify because there's nurseries that charge compassionate prices for you to come pick up teens of verified genetic and then you have people selling a rooted clone a riot root for root riot for four or five thousand dollars six thousand ten thousand whatever we want to go with it and it's just I get it. Trust me, I do. Like, I understand the building of a business and all that, but I'm just thankful. Like, I don't think I could ever do that personally. Like, even if I was growing enough cannabis to just have 20 grand and be like, yeah, let me buy a pack of seeds for 20 grand. And to me, I, I don't have any friends that are passionate about it doing that. That's where my money's going. If I have that money, I'm going to spend it with people <laughs> right. that I, you know, that I truly believe are doing like what I think is better work with the plant, better doing it properly. And that it just so happens they charge compassionate prices, but they're doing it with something that I align with and I can appreciate and respect, you know? And so, uh, I mean, that's everything I feel like of it. It's like, I don't know how I got that far off from Barb, but that was where I was with it. I know I talk a lot, my bad. No, man, you're all good. I think it's intriguing that you call them patient plants. And I know you kind of like touched on that a little bit. But the Barbara Bud is just, it's kind of an interesting 
plant to me in the sense that, yeah, like you said, it's from the great gardener. It's been around a while. It's been around, like you said, probably if not as long, I don't know the, the history, but like the Rene is pretty old from kind of what I understand. And I think the barb obviously is back from then. And, you know, the interesting part about it being like so medicinal is you said it's the shishka berry and the and Afghani, right? Yeah. And the shishka berry, I think was from that, from breeder Steve. And then the Afghanis were probably just stuff that was like imported and selected. And, yeah. you know, I don't see anybody really in the U S running this. And, but in Europe, it's like a big thing. Like, uh, I think Nicotine mentions uh, La Sagrada Farms. They have some special cut of it that has like, I don't remember, like some exotic terp profile on it. And then I know it's really big out like in Morocco. And they really? plant from seed there every year. And so, you know, it's it's kind of interesting just to see like how genetics go around the world and, and where they play in and where they play and where they don't necessarily. and kind of how that all all ties in together as well for me. But back to this idea of like it covering the widest range of ailments, you know, because it sounded like it covered like a good amount of things that people were experiencing discomfort with whatever that may be. And so you told me that one of your first experiences really with hash was with your mom. So would you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, of course. So yeah, like I'm pretty sure it was probably basically that same hash that I watched my buddy stuff into the Pyrex and, <laughs> you know, just like go at it to try to make rosin from like back in the day, like with on that Pyrex basically. But yeah, it was like just some real like bricked out, you know, hash that was just probably just dry sift. I imagine of somebody's outdoor crap that I was getting stuff from. Um, Honestly, I feel like I was blessed in high school. I can't even lie. Like I definitely was thankful for the, I had a lot of sun grown flower that definitely was like, at the time I had no idea, but it had to have been just like minimally, like there's had to have been like probably native soil, you know, and like minimal amendments and just like, you know, at the time that was something that I didn't really get to experience. I feel like a ton of these dudes were growing their own strains because I was just getting these names. And I'm just like, what the fuck? And like, they would tell me the year before that they did this to this. And they're like, this is what this is. And I'm like, damn, I'm like, this is so dope to be a part of, you know, it made me appreciate genetics like early on. I feel like for me early on, like, you know, when I was like still just, I consider myself more of just a stoner, but yeah, like I had that hash or whatever from, I think, probably them or somebody else but just i i was like my mom used to have seizures and this was before like cbd isolate and stuff like that and so i i lived in north carolina actually and so like they had cbd legal like hemp hemp had already been approved and there was like federal licensing that was supposed to be coming out for hemp cultivation out there but it was just hitting speed bumps you know through the whole process and nothing was like happening anyways. But I, that wasn't even the focus. I feel like at the time, nobody, I didn't know about, like I didn't see CBD isolate for sure. It wasn't a thing like, but at least hemp production was probably becoming a thing. But yeah, I remember just having that hash and putting like, I want to say a gram and a half, 1.2 grams, 1.5 grams and 30 caps for my mom. And like, I've decarboxylated a ton of hash and tested it out here now for, honestly trying to like sometimes even mimic what 
stuff back then, you know, and shit like that, with just degrading hash to get CBN, just different things like that. I know decarboxylation rates and like, yeah, it was probably like 1200 to 1500 milligrams I was putting into 30 capsules of hash. It had my mom seizure free for over two years, you know, before she had to stop taking them. And within like less than a week of first stop taking them, she had a seizure. And it was to me apparent at the time that I was like, holy shit, this plant can really like affect somebody like that. I also have a buddy that's a glass blower. I don't know if he wants to be mentioned as like that, but he's like, he's an epileptic and like I watched him like literally tell me shit like that early on too about just cannabis and how it helped him so much with like having seizures and shit. And I'm like, damn, that's like so cool to, you know, stuff like that to me is what really, I feel like put me on the per like the, the purpose of like wanting to do something with the plant. And once again, like I said, being the messenger, I feel like that's like, there's so much misinformation spread through this too. And not like even always intentionally, it's just one of those things that somebody tells somebody something and, they take what they their take on it is or like what they're told. They only focus on certain things told. So they, you know, over time when you repeat the same things to different people, the story can be misle- misleading or, you know, there's obviously misleading stuff right away or stuff that people do to profit off of misinformation and stuff like that. Of course, like, you know, I feel like that's almost any, any market, especially kind of more uh, still a market that's like, you know, regulated, but, figuring out the regulation towards and definitely a huge part of that's not regulated, obviously. And so, yeah, it's, you know, it's one of those things that to me is, it's crazy to really think about that alone, you know? Again, going back to what we were saying earlier, I think it's just been such a rapid shift and rapid change that there's in part, like you said, information that's out there. That's just like not right, but people do it because others have done it. And then there's, other information out there that can get, you know, slanted however you kind of want to. And with all these different textures and all these different types of rosins and, you know, CRC and all these different types of like trickery, it's, it's a wild market. It's a wild place. Some of the stuff I hear about, I, it literally scares me to death. Like I'm like, holy shit. Like, I've seen stuff talking about like where it was like shatter slabs that had like it what looked like cellophane basically in it that they had like basically ran it, I guess, with something to have just like it wrapped up, you know, like where when you melt it, it like leaves something behind. And I just think that's so weird that people go through that like hard of a reach to make money. But it's probably really cheap, unfortunately. And I hate to say that, but that's like, I guess their approach is why they do it. But it's just like, damn, like (laughs) there's people that really like growing weed that actually want to make real weed products, not just like, you know, and then, yeah, like you're saying with CRC, there's people that once it goes down the line, once again, it's like, there's people out there that are going to pick up CRC and try to sell it as rosin. And there's such misinformation. I even have friends that are in other States that are, that I meet with and hang out with when I'm just in their area. And they tell me, they're like, yo, check this out. It's some rosin. And it says live resin on the jar. And I'm like, yo, this is live resin. This is a hydrocarbon, not like hating on the product. This is like, it looks good and stuff. But like, I'm like, man, like that's not what that is. And so there's definitely, once again, like the imitation of like, you know, I mean, shit, I write live rosin on my jars, but that's because at least used to, I don't even label my shit now. <laughs> Most of the time, like I'll label, you know, I'll label it. Cause for the homies, they know what 
they know what's up. They're like, that's who it is. Like, <laughs> or they're like, that's what that is. That death coast, and that's uh, you know, or whatever. It's like, so well, me, again, going like back to this things. idea with the barb, it's like I don't. You probably are one of the few people, if not the only kind of guy, maybe still out there running it outside of your other homie. I think you said Optimal Gardens. Yeah, Optimal Gardens. That's like where it came from, actually. Um, until recently, like I've honestly only released like the tiniest bit of ferment fed of it. It's just the one time, the original time I got it, it was, it's honestly such a funny plant. I just had something go wrong in a veg room and it like, it uh, started to want to re-veg with like a couple other things that lost light. And so it was just, they were like such small plants. They were just like basically crowded out of a room for like a week. Everything came back except that I had TK in there, which was like super finicky. And it happened to that because it was just a small clone and a solo in between a a garden of stuff that was way larger than it so it just didn't have shit for light for like a week and but yet barb never bounced back so i've only grown it out once like and optimal was get first i mean there was just a real there that plant was just like originally who it was from even and shit and just in general like once it came into the circle type deal it was just one of those things that was like it was just kind of held because you know, I didn't, I wasn't, I don't think like, I know I asked for it pretty quickly. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm like, yo, if I could run this, that would be dope. And it <laughs> right. took me a while to even get him to let me run it, to be honest with you. Like, you know, which all respect to Optimal. He's like, I appreciate that dude a ton. I appreciate way beyond just like Bart as a plant and just him as a person. But yeah, like that was definitely a thing for a bit. It was just, and now it's definitely like, I feel like it's, it's become a thing that I think it's pretty apparent. It's just one of those plants that needs to be in the right people's hands, you know? Like, I think everybody has that mindset with it and was just like, this is, shouldn't be like that. And that, I know that's like where a lot of people justify starting a market. And so that's why I was never really like trying to, I couldn't, if somebody, I've had people give me clones plenty of times and say, Hey, like, can't pass this out. I appreciate that. I've gotten told that from my friends that give me so much shit that I'm thankful for. And they've told me like, yeah, so-and-so gave me this, can't give it to you. Cool. I got it. I understand. Like, I understand that completely. For whatever reason, if you're working a line and you're going to release seeds and like you want to make money on the seeds or it's something that people come to you for and it's, it's supporting your livelihood, like shit, like then do it. You know, I feel like there's a fine line you have to, everybody's different on where they approach that at for sure. And I think balance is part of it that everybody needs, like including myself with that to be able to like, you know, understand like this plan is definitely something that should be held onto, or this is something that like everybody needs or in general with even just divvying out hash for me, like, <laughs> you know, it's like, that should be something that I have to weigh in on to be honest with you, because that's important to me that people can, have enough of hash of something that they appreciate until next crop or whatever, you know, where it's like, as opposed to me just offloading bulk amounts to a couple of people and a lot of it ending up where it needs to, but at what cost and mainly not even at what cost, I understand that, but like more so just like, like the demand changes at that point, you know what I'm saying? The demand changes. I've seen it because I mean, I do that as well with certain people that I, I appreciate a ton and they help me with that in general and stuff like in general, it's a good thing. That ability to like really connect with a person and know like, Oh yeah, they would like to have this for the next month (laughs) before I have more of it. Like that's good for me to able to do that, you know, 
I don't know. A lot of people would overlook that. And I get both sides of it. There's obviously like people's priorities are differently and what they, they need to do with their garden right away or however they deal with it is what they do. That's the point of this. Like there's so many roads to take. That's one reason I've always loved the cannabis uh, lifestyle, like whatever, you know, it's like, it's just been a thing that's pick your lane type shit and you can be cool. Like every, I, I've rarely seen beef in this shit other than it being like kind of funny, at least for me. But like, I guess there's some serious, like I'm tripping. There's definitely probably really serious beef through this too and stuff. But like at the same time, I don't know. There's so much love on the end that I see of it. It's just outweighed from personally, like to be able to be a part of what I've seen and what I see on other ends of it. People I can appreciate online that I relate to. And I'm like, man, like they're just seeing what other people do out there, man. It's crazy. Like it's, it's inspiring to say the least because I'm nowhere where I want to be, honestly, with especially even growing cannabis. I truly, truly want to be outside growing cannabis, like on a decent little farm, you know, and I'm not able to do that yet. But it's like that's that's the goal in life for sure. And it's like I feel like that's all more of a thing that I'm trying to focus on now for sure with hash making in general is just being able to like really figure out the lane of where I want to be with, you know, cannabis where it's taken me and where I've like what I've, you know, truly ultimately I feel like wanted out of it. So it's, it's been, it's, I feel like all of it's just part of the process and you have to trust the process and like everything falls into place as it should. So it's like, as long as you put focus and stuff towards what you need to and everything, then it's like eventually things fall into place. So that's really goal of mine though, for sure. Yeah, that's cool, man. Well, I think uh, this could be a good chance for a smoke break. How do you feel about it? Yeah, yeah. I'm down for sure. All right, cool. Yeah, that would be nice. Shout out to our homies and main sponsors, Rosin Evolution, the best bags in the game. You can visit them at rosinevolution.com or on Instagram at rosinevolution100. That's the number 100. We love working with Rosin Evolution because outside of being the best rosin bags in the game, they really are one of the best companies in cannabis in general. They're reliable, their products are top-notch, and they excel at showing their customers how much they appreciate them by always going the extra mile to make sure that they're happy, whether that's making you custom bags, getting your order to you in the time frame that you need, or continuing to innovate and build upon their already top-of-the-line bags. Rosin Evolution is always looking out for you and their bags provide you peace of mind, which is nice at any moment, but especially nice when your bag is full of something worth more than gold, literally. So if you need rosin bags, hash wash bags, or anything rosin, go to rosinevolution.com and use our savings code, the letters THI, the number 710, that's THI710, to save 5% on your entire order with Rosin Evolution at rosinevolution.com. Thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoy the rest of the episode. Would you puff on? Some death ghosts, actually. Yeah, I was like, I was trying to look over. It's like <laughs> some of the... Some of the shit I can actually smoke right now and feel like I'll still be able to crank the interview out. I almost reached for the Death Star jar earlier and I was like, yeah, nah, probably not yet. I'm like, That's I'll funny. wait. Yeah. <laughs> I'll wait on that one. And you were telling me that you were like about to smoke rosin before the interview. You're like, nah, I got to press off some hash for this. Yeah, I don't know. It's like, I'm such a ritualistic person, dude. Early on with washing hash, I remember I like, Back in the day and shit, when I was washing for a homie and stuff, 
he'd, he had, he'd only grow four plants, maybe six plants, just big plants, but he'd let me wash one of them like every time. And sometimes he'd keep the same stuff around. Sometimes he wouldn't, but like either way, like I was so ritualistic, like I would literally press out hash from him while I was about to wash his hash or like press out like, you know, the same strain, even if I had washed it from, him, if I had hoarded it for however long it was before he ran it again. But like, <laughs> right. yeah, I don't know. It's just been a thing that I'm like, yeah. So I was like, fuck, I'm like, it's the hashish in. I got to smoke some hashish. Like, truthfully, I should have put it on a screen and lit it with a fucking hemp wick. <laughs> like, I don't know. Like, should have smoked every type of hash, I feel like, before I came on, actually, to be honest with you. Go through well, you all know, of them. It's funny, man, because I wasn't going to ask this, but like, since you brought it up, you know, I've asked a lot of other people. So I'm curious, what's hashish to you? Is hashish the same as hash? Because that's kind of a discussion that I have internally a lot. And I'm curious on your take. Honestly, I wish I would have looked it up, like, to be honest with you before, because that would be cool to actually, I don't know, like the difference in what, like, I guess if you truthfully look up the definition of hash and then look up hashish, like, would there be a different definition? Like, well, I, mean, I assume I, it's just, I think that, so I don't know if hash is necessarily like in a dictionary or per se, like, I think hashish is kind of the, the standard overall term and which is so interesting and i've been having a lot of discussions with different people about this including simply adam who we're always kind of chopping it up about this kind of stuff but you know i i told them the other day i was like it seems like it's come it comes down to one thing it comes down to the fact of like is hashish a preparation and if so does it have to do with like the human element and basically almost taking the plant material and processing it in some way? Does that make it hashish or is it something like where Frenchie says where like, no, it's more of the actual process of then taking these collected loose glands as he calls them or hash as people call water hash or water hash or there's so you know, so much terminology but then he says that yeah. you have to further like press the resin together and that by doing that, you've created something called hashish. And so, I, you know, I don't know. I, I don't, I really think even if you were to look at a dictionary, there's still so much confusion, especially with all these evolving ways of quote unquote extraction, or, you know, if you consider bubble hash or water hash an extraction versus an isolation that's a whole other thing. So anyways, yeah. I, I don't know, you know, having said that, just what are your thoughts? Truthfully, like I was, I was the one that would always be preaching like hash is like water hash, you know, like bubble hash, shit like that. Like to me, that was always hash. That was mainly just because growing up, that was such a cool thing to be able to get for me. Like, I don't know why I always love the effect of like smoking, even open flame hash. Like I could take really good hash that I like smoking all day that that dabs really well at least if if that's what you want to consider making something good hash but like yeah like i could take that and take a good fine screen and light it with hemp wick later like in the day and it's gonna make me feel it's gonna have a better flavor and then later that flavor that true traditional hash i feel like comes in no matter where it came from almost 
and it gets you this different effect. Like no matter what, I can smoke hash all day. That's why I like hash so much. It's just something for me that if I feel like if my productivity level is there and it can honestly help benefit my daily lifestyle of just like doing stuff, no matter what I have to do almost, I feel like I can smoke a little hash and be fine. Like if I smoke weed, it's at some point in the day, I might feel groggy or just like not fully there wanting to do what I want to do unless I smoke more like flour, I feel like. And so it's, for me, it's just everybody's different too. And that's like, once again, like what I love about cannabis. So for hash for me is like, I've always geared it towards that for sure. Where I'm like, yeah, like it's like bubble hash and shit. But once again, I think any form of cannabis that can somebody like, I don't know, it's like hash in general, in reality, I'm pretty sure the definition is somehow in sense, in a sense of a like concentration of, you know, the active cannabinoids and in cannabis, you know, or the resin in it, at least as far as how it's applied to cannabis, if you're talking about res or hash, you know, I imagine it's like literally a good point you made definitely was like comparing extraction to isolation because I still, I don't know, I've, it's a good one in general to really think about. And it's like, because I hear people always say water ice extraction, that's like really well-known term. And I'm like, or at least that's what I hear a lot of people say. And yeah, you're right. It's like, it's in a sense, it's just an isolation. It's definitely Obviously, you'll always hear people make the make the argument of water's the most universal, or it's the universal solvent, and that's true. It truly is, and it works as a solvent for the terpenes that you don't acquire back when you make water hash. So it's like it's still somewhat of a of a solvent process during the process, but what you're smoking, the processed material that you actually finish and or smoking is through a mechanical separation to where the glandular trichome heads are just free floating in water the whole time that you're doing the process. And that's what makes it so beautiful to me. It makes nothing different about what helps somebody at the end of the process though. So it's like, it does make a difference, you know, but like not everybody has what helps them, you know, that's what I'm really was trying to get out with that. But like, yeah, for me, like that was the, I think truly, especially first off, from just being around since an, I remember literally like main information that was out there when I started doing this, there was a Frenchy cannoli video that I remember pretty heavily that I watched. There was obviously roll it up with uh, Matt Rise's information on there. And there was a few other people that I like, that's what I gravitated towards and saw and trichome heavy extracts was around and they were like, to me crushing it at the time. Like I was so into that saturate, like that part of like what was going on in Colorado very early on too. In general, I feel like they were just, you know, they were real well known for water hash, like before Nicotee was there. Nicotee obviously being a very big member and placement in it too, because I mean, without it, obviously people would have been Sieven hash or Sivan hash, however you want to pronounce it. But to me, like that was, uh, that was, that was what I gravitated towards. That's why Pua Extractions to me was, I remember early on, his hash right away for me. I remember just being like, damn, that isolation, that's what I look for. Microplane hash looks so, it was so uniform in a different sense. I just like that caviar look that sieved hash almost always had. I feel like not that freeze-dried hash or microplane hash couldn't have it. Because I mean, even I've seen... Uh, freeze-dried hash that somebody just ran it through the sieve similar or just like, you know, caught the... I feel like the biggest thing is just under drying and over drying and trapping moisture with water hash through freeze dryers that I see. But we talked about it earlier and just the like kind of, I think it was in the pre chat or something, we were talking about like warming up, like, like just like the whole, the whole change of hash, you know, and everything. And then like, 
it was cool to be able to see people with a freeze dryer and that becoming a thing that made so many people be able to say, hey, we can wash hash. It definitely gave people more of a chance. Like not, I've had a lot of people reach out to me with the exact opposite, obviously asking me air dry tips because they're not wanting to invest into a freeze dryer or they're just on back order or whatever, whatever is going on. You know, there's both sides of it, but I think it definitely was an introduction to the hash stuff that it changed a lot of people and how they were like, how they looked at it and they could be like, damn, like we could do this, especially on a large scale without like, you know, really honing in and tuning in on how to do it air dried like that, you know, cause there's people out there in respect to that. If you're producing like large numbers of air dried hash on a, whether it's a legal base or not, like, you know, it's like, to me, that's, that's like respect for sure. Just because of the man hours and the actual manual labor, I feel like it's definitely a different realm as opposed to just pulling something out of a freeze dryer and then isolating it differently as opposed, like dry, you know, which is always cool in an aspect too, because technically I wet sieve is what I do is what you would consider it. But like in a sense, you obviously wick the hash of a lot of moisture before you ever sieve it out onto racks or whatever, you know, parchment lined, whatever racks that you're, how many you set up or, you know, if you just set up shelving, I've seen people set up shelving, whatever is like your way of setting up for space, you know, but, uh, yeah, like, I don't know. It's like you lose probably 75 plus percent of the moisture from wicking already before you you're actually sieving the hash i'd say so it's still considered a wet sieve i would consider obviously because you're separating and isolating the hash to dry it so it's definitely not dry it's just not like wet and everybody's definition of that is different too i know we spoke on that with the panel of air dried hash with brandon with uh, uh kushkirk camden from pua as well because it's definitely like one of those things that everybody has a different way of doing it. And that's what I think made it an art, you know, with hash as opposed to, I think rosin rosin has its own art aspect for sure. But it's just, I remember that one time too, being like <laughs> baffled that somebody reached out to me and he was like, he told me he appreciated my art and it was a glass blower. And I was just like, <laughs> I was like, this isn't art, dude. Like I'm just making hash. Like, you know, I'm like, you make art. Like, but it was just because of how, my, you know, everybody's definition of art's different. Like I was just closed-minded in general. There's so many aspects of art that somebody wouldn't consider art, you know, or whatever, because it's not a physical thing or not the physical thing that they look at it for. But I mean, everything I think that definitely has a variance of ability and talent to do something, what makes something an art in a sense, you know, it's like, which is a lot of stuff that people would overlook as seeing it as an art because of something else being the reason that they do it too. You know, it's like, whatever it is. Yeah, I agree, man. And I think uh, the more I talk to people and the more things kind of set in, I think you're right. I think art is just kind of in the eye of the beholder, man. You know, it, it depends like what, what resonates for you as, as quote unquote art for some people, it may be hash for some people, it may be glass for some people. It may be only paintings, whatever, you know, everybody kind of has their thing, but the hashish in Discord chat would disown me if I would not further question you on air drying because, like you said, funny enough, a lot of people are interested in learning about air drying, even though you don't think there's a lot of people out there doing it. But you brought up the point that, you know, 
guys that are doing it for themselves or on a very small scale or a hobbyist like yourself, they might not be able to afford a freeze dryer or not want to have a freeze dryer or not have the space for a freeze dryer. So let's get into the real nitty gritty about drying. So let's start off with like, what was the first time do you remember trying to dry hash and how poorly do you think you dried it now looking back? <laughs> Honestly, if I'm thinking about the first time I made hash, I was like in like high school <laughs> and just like trying to make traditionally pressed dial hash. And yeah, that I was like pressing it pretty cool. Like we dry it on, you know, just the wicking screens, the 25 micron screen. We dry it on that for like a day. I think we would chop it up and then dry it out one more time and then press it together and then let it sit on the screens for like a week, <laughs> you know, and maybe put it in a box that we had that just had other hash in it. It was definitely more of like a, just a, at that point, it was just like, yeah, like, I don't know. It was just like that, that search for that traditional hash, but just something that you made, you know, it was just like that. So. So I'm yeah. curious from that point of like making hash that way or for that intention and then drying for the intention of like creating quote unquote, this traditional hash. Was it Instagram and seeing guys like Camden that inspired you to try sieving or sieving? Um, yeah, I would say, yeah, definitely. Like I, I can't remember if I, I'm pretty sure I'm probably microplaned at first when I first actually wanted to make like, when I seen like full melt or like where I was like, damn, like people are like, separate like i was like i was wondering why they always send all these extra bags you know like because you'd have to order some eight bag set half these people i'd just buy cheap bags back in the day obviously so i was just buying some shit that was like either i'd see at the store like you know at the fucking gross store that I was overpriced bullshit but i didn't have to like buy it off the internet and like piss my parents off or have to find somebody to send it to their house or something so i was just like yeah like i don't know it was just funny that that was i remember that was the thing like at that point, I, I want to say the biggest thing for sure was def I would say like probably Nick T and Camden were like the two first people that I really remember seeing at least like sieving hash or sieving hash like on a large or like even just on a scale where I was like, damn, I'm like, damn, these people are killing it. You know, I think Headhunter Extracts, I think that's the name. They were another person really early on and then like still licensed for the longest that I'd just seen them like on a production level air drying hash. And I'm like, I was just thinking how crazy it was you know and i'm pretty sure they 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 pray microplane i can't remember though honestly i feel like he air, he sieves but i could be wrong yeah for me it was just the ease of it that's the thing about air drying i think that's like the coolest thing about it and the art aspect of it is like you truly have to find out what works for you and, and that's what's questioned and made me change as a person just as much as the plant canvas plant in general has i'm definitely one of those types of people that if i get a groove of something that works I'm going to repeat the process and just, I know what works. Like I get systematic with it, I guess is a, for lack of a better word. I'm just like, all right, this worked. I'm going to do this. There was a point I remember after washing hash for a long ass time, like super comfortable with it. I had changed how long it took me to wash hash. I'm pretty sure and cut it into a third of what it originally was taking me. It was like at this point, like how long it would take me to do the whole process. And there was a point that I just tried something differently and I don't even remember exactly what it was that really fully did it. Then I was just, there was a point that I just like, holy shit, like this is definitely on a different scale of where I could be at with it in time frame. where I'm like, damn, I'm saving myself a lot of time, you know, and it 
I think that is really just on the person. I know I've spoke about it before. For me, I think anybody could isolate the same plan I am going to wash and get a pretty good product. It's about how stressful it's going to be for you to get to the end product. You know, no matter what you're doing, freeze drying, air drying, however you approach it, if you're new to this or still figuring it out. And that's something that everybody I think is, we're still figuring it out. You can't say that, you know, there's things we love like about what we're doing. And we're definitely, you know, there's a lot of people that are really content with where they're at with it. And so like, and should be because they're really fucking good at this shit. And so, but I think that's something that definitely gets overlooked sometimes. It's still so much to learn. You could change one thing that change changes the whole game for you where you're like, damn, like that was, that's what I've been, I don't even know I needed to do that. You know, like, so I don't know. Yeah. And so on that note, what would be one of those things for you? What was one of those things that you learned along the way? I would say wicking, figuring out really how to like, obviously two glandular trichome heads and just figuring out the structure of a trichome would make for a good washer and seeing it more, obviously doing test washes and shit like that. But in general, I would definitely just figuring out the plant and studying it a little more, looking at it differently as opposed to just knowing certain strains are going to wash good and seeing it in the cross and then being like, yeah, this is what I want to do. But I mean, it's obviously, it's just a learning process in general. And I think there's still so much to be learned from that. Like I don't put stuff under a scope enough to really look at all the time and be like, damn, that's why this trichome head, you know, in this sense is breaking free from this caffeinated stock much easier for whatever reason. But there's other ways to approach it. And that's the beautiful thing about it. We all have that ability. And that's the art of it. Find out what really works for you and hone in on that shit. Like that's what really is. Put you into the, whatever you want to call it, the game, the community, the playing field. If it, everybody has a different approach, but if you're just trying to get good at what you're doing, you got to look at what stresses you out and fix that. Or like, you know, fix what, apply what is your lifestyle with what you're doing to it in a sense. All right, that's like, that works for me. Looking back at what you do, like, oh shit, maybe that's why I sped up what I, like, you know, that day. Or So for me, yeah, I feel like it was definitely just, the biggest thing was, I guess, maybe even sieving hash, like just learning about sieving hash as opposed to microplaning. I feel like that saved me so much time in itself. But I also have friends that microplane hash. And so it's it's just a thing. Find what works, man. Like, and then just like try to cut the time down, I guess, if you can. Like, you know, especially if you actually want to enjoy the process of it, you need to be more productive with it because you're still learning. I think that should be everybody's goal with it. Progress some sort of it, whether it's the time that it takes you to do something or the ability to do it at a better pace or, you know, or I mean, at a, at a better like quality, you know, whatever. So. Yeah. I'm assuming that over time you become more efficient at the process in general. And so that probably helps with that aspect, but you know, you talked about kind of using what you got and making it work with the best you got. So let's talk about specifically what works for you because when we did talk on that air dry panel, which I'm totally going to plug right now is on the Hashishin YouTube where you can and Kush Kirk talk about drying resin and each of you kind of had your own style. One of the things I remember was your setup, you said was like not very complicated when it came to drying. So talk to me about some of the variables in your space, including 
if you have like an AC going, I know you told me the time of year maybe has to do with it. Do you run dehumidifiers? What's going on in the room? Yeah, so I mean, could go as complicated with it as, or like as simple with it as just literally setting up a grow tent, you know? I mean, I've done that before. It depends the time of the year for me, truly, and how much ash I'm producing. I've done like just four by four tent that I run a small uh, air conditioner in, set up on a cool bot. I've even ghetto rigged it way back in the day to where I just had a air conditioner pumping cold air into a room sitting on the outside of the room. So like in a grow tent and just pumping in cold air and set it to 60 and the outside of the room was above 60. So the air conditioner never cut off. So I actually have my tent getting down to like the forties, you know? And so it would never cut off, but like you could have the ability to at least drop the temperatures. And if you're in my eyes in a like decently clean area already doing it and then just always pulling in fresh air that's like pretty solid for not having to do much yeah i basically just run a bedroom converted to like running off of air conditioner with a cool bot that's set up with it and then just having a small hepa filter into the room and you i mean i have dehumidifiers but i feel like i rarely ever run them because the air conditioner is just on enough and so i'm washing in my room too half the time so it's not like it affects much but when you're in there, it obviously the humidity is going to go up when you're washing, but like it'll drastically go back down after you're done or whatever. So, with the ability to work in a room like that is at least on a small scale thankful because if you don't have, I mean, you could easily just set up two different rooms basically to wash in and then to dry in, and then it wouldn't be as difficult. But at the same time, I just do what I can with the space, you know, it's like, and to be able to, like, you can set up, I feel like, a decent little hash room. Or you can go, like, next level, which is definitely, like, would be something that, like, is definitely something I want to do, you know? Like, at least as far as, like, being able to really try to approach hash on, like, a level that, I don't know. It's more of less of a hobbyist thing and more of, like, a professional thing, you know? Because for me, it's just always been fun to be able to isolate plants, like, you know, on a small scale of whatever seed the start or like seed the hash is you know awesome yeah and so talk to me about the wicking process so once you scoop your patties out of your collection bags walk us through the process and you know if it's easier like pick a strain that you work with all the time that way you kind of have a base for exactly the way you do it because that's the one thing that people seem to be most wanting to know is how to properly wick. Like, is it too long? Is it too short? Is the patty too cold, not cold enough? So talk to us a little bit about your workflow. Okay. So for me, I like to basically just at least insulate. I get everything onto like the 25 micron screen, just like dry screens, and then basically insulate it with two or three paper towels. While I'm finishing scooping everything, I'll scoop all of that together and at least collect what I want for full melt and rosin separately at that point and just have them separated. Started to collect wick, wicking like what's already there. If during the process I'm able, because sometimes I'll just machine wash and load up multiple machines. So I'm able to see during the process. Other times, like if I'm just hand wash, like hand washing and I have nobody to help me, I'll just be, I'll hand wash until the process is basically over so I can see and then go back to finishing the wash or, you know, cleaning everything up. But yeah, as far as like, I would say 
collection. I just basically collect. You can really wick to a point that it depends on the strain completely. Certain strains are going to be a lot quicker of, to me to wick to be able to be at the point that I'm happy with it to like just basically be able to sieve it right there or just store it on a rack and have it in the cold room still just chilling, you know? And obviously if you're, if you're microplaning, I'm pretty sure you're going to want to probably wick more and then freeze pucks. And so freezing pucks, I feel like at that point, if you're freezing pucks, you probably want a little more moisture taken out. I would imagine. But yeah, it totally depends the strain for me where I'm at. I feel like as far as how much I wick from it, it really is just the process. Like I know one of the first times I washed barb, I basically trapped moisture in it. You know, it was a weird process of wicking it that I had a good wash of it and then I had a bad wash where I sieved some that was just, it was already really oily in the jars and it caked for sure. And I'm pretty sure I trapped moisture in it just from wicking. So yeah, I mean, it's different for everybody. But one thing I would recommend is definitely, personally, I never squish patties on on a dry screen. I don't, there's probably people that do it and make good hash. So I'm, for, but for me, that's one thing, if I could give advice, definitely not to do. If I'm going to speak on at least drying hash, like, I don't know. I feel like that kind of could trap moisture. But at the same time, some people do it with like, with stuff to absorb moisture. So maybe it draws it out. It's hard to really say. And at what process, you know, it's like, because during a stage that could be fine. Another stage, it might not be able to actually leave, remove from the surface of whatever, you know, but yeah, I don't know. I, I would say, yeah, I basically, yeah, that's the process other than sieving it. I was just like, basically depending on the strain, you're running through a sieve with like a, a decent spoon, like a small spoon, like, I collect all my stuff with a small spoon or like butter knife. Like it's the easiest thing for me to scoop it out of the bags, to be honest with you. I'd rather just go back multiple times and have a uniform patty laid out for me to draw the moisture from that's like easier to handle as opposed to scooping out. Like if I was freeze drying, it would definitely be just straight ladle. Like I just scoop out as much as I can get out, especially with a ladle, you can get a little more moisture in it. So all that's sublimating differently when you're using a freeze dryer. So, and I've freeze dried hash before, but. It's yeah, it's definitely a different game. All of it is. So that is a that's like a real good point to make. I would say the other biggest thing is yeah, get out a lot of the obviously wait till the bags are drained. Like if you ran a lot of hash and there's a lot of hash on the screens, like try to get the water out before you start scooping it if you're air drying it. That's my preference. Like everybody, I mean you could do it differently. It's all gonna draw it itself out on the dry screen if you watch it enough and you layer it right. But I think that's another way to trap moisture. So it sounds like it's about creating a surface area, but at the same time, not like mounting it on top of each other. So it like almost presses on itself. And so I'm curious, is there like a, a certain size patty that you like, or is it just kind of an eyeball? Honestly, like I break up, I just usually collect like it is like kind of one big patty in a sense. Just the shape of it is important for me. Just obviously like on a dry I just use the small little dry screens, those little eight by eights or whatever they are, 10 by tens. And so, I mean, I'll just fill up one of those. And so if I know my, how my, how much I can layer with getting hash on it, that's important to me because that's just one less tray that I have to fill up with those to begin with, to start layering the rack, you know? I'm curious what size trays you're using and how much hash you're putting per tray. I would say they're like, they're not at like, I've honestly never even measured the ones I have. I bought them from like, just like Gordon, like some place out here, this food place. 
I'd say they're like probably 12 by 24-ish or something like that. However wide a parchment roll is, I know they're wider than that, like obviously, but I'd say I, it really depends on how, like once again, the strain. There's strains that I could just like layer it and it dries quicker for sure. Death Coast is a great example, which is pretty wild. Like Death Star definitely has been one that takes a little longer to dry, but Death Coast, I don't know if I said Death Star twice, but Death Coast is the one that like, you can air dry it and like, I swear you could air dry it overnight. You could, if you wanted to, you could just air dry it overnight and jar it. Same with when you squish the rosin. Like, I don't care what you do. It's going to take a month for that jar to cure into like butter for you to like whip it or do whatever you want to do with it. It'll be straight clear. Even if you press it at like, I mean, you press it stupid low, maybe not, but like, I'm pretty sure like 160 over, it's just going to be so clear in a jar for a good while you have to add heat almost to that jar if you want to like crash it out in a sense or change, not even crash it out, just change the consistency of it to where like it, it obviously will nucleate or whatever and butter up and then you're able to like agitate it to whatever state that you're looking for out of it. It's definitely just one of those strains. It just dries really fast, I feel like. So, and it's, I mean, it's essentially all Death Coast is, is Sour Diesel Backcross 1. It's from Pips Weed, if anybody knows who that is or you want to check them out is I think is a uh, oh man, I'm going to draw a blank and I feel like an ass souvenir seed company. Sorry. Is a seed company. And he dropped like a bunch of stuff, sour crosses and a bunch of cool stuff. He's got cool projects. Yeah. Death coast is essentially sour diesel BX one. Death star just crossed the sour diesel is what it is. Yeah. It selected that. I had a friend of mine that basically was like getting in and he was telling me, he's like, you got to get this. He's like, he, he, didn't really like GMO that much. He liked the effect from it, but he's just not into that profile. And he loves Death Star in general. Death Star wash is really good. I love Death Star. It's just not as stable either as something like Death Coast. Like as far as like, I feel like, like I said, dude, I've, I don't know. I feel like Death Coast is so hard to get the cake up, even full melt. Like, and then definitely like uh, rosin is just one of those strains that the stability of the trichome head is different than, than its, its parent in a sense, you know, but, uh, yeah, like, I mean, you, like I layered shit differently where like that would be layered differently than barb. And I also layer racks differently based off of how much I have to wash. There'll be times that I'll just prolong the duration of the, the dry process. I usually like back in the day, I remember every, everything being seven to 10 days when, original air dried hash from fresh frozen. That's what they said. I want to say most people were saying five to seven for dry material. That was for like trim, but conditions change. All that changes. Your room changes. Strains change, obviously like, or at least what you're selecting and doing. And nowadays, almost everybody washes fresh frozen, including myself. Like there's very little times I will. There's plants that I love though, that I'm like, I know this is not going to wash fresh frozen. I'll wash it dry. Like if it looks like something that the trichome still is something that might be something worth trying to isolate that way, but it's just not going to break free as far as fresh on the plant. There's plenty of shit like that. I've even, I know multiple processors. I don't want to mention people without them, like, you know, but like, yeah, I knew multiple processors that were telling their farmers that like, Hey, dry your material like three days before you freeze it. Cause they were trying to get the, what I assume is the trichome to harden up which makes sense in a sense. Like you could definitely do something like that and help a plant wash differently. You know, um, it's just funny in the sense, cause at the end of the day, especially if you're washing for rosin, you could dry the process completely and 
still make some really bomb hash to begin with and then just squish it. And you have a whole different flavor profile and a whole different effect based off of it just being dry as opposed to live, which in my eyes definitely changes things, which is something I've once again, back to us talking about passion and it holding people back. Like that's the one thing that from the side of like a business side of this, that if I was truthfully like working with people doing something on a larger scale, it would be something I would like to focus on is that for sure. Yeah. And I've only tried a few things from you. I think one was a GMO, which I think you were running pretty early on in comparison to maybe other people. Cause I'm assuming the connection with Michigan, maybe it kind of kind of came out of the area, but then also that death coast. And that was really a cool resin. And it's so funny kind of looking back and you talking about its stability and stuff, because it was full melt. And, you know, let's just say that it, you know, made the rounds and was still very, very stable. And so I think I even shared that with you at one point that I was kind of surprised by that. You know, it's not, it's not a common thing. So that that's an interesting point that you brought up with that strain in particular. And, you know, whether this is bro science or not, but I think that's what t- typically people refer to as stability, right? Or it's like a terpene profile that just is able to keep its form, like you said, or, or, keep it at whatever, however that works. I'm not sure, you know, I'm not a scientist, but um, last question about drying. I'm curious, based on the resin, are you using different size sieves at all? So I used to, but not really anymore. I use like a pretty larger size sieve to process. I think the biggest thing, and I'm still like, honestly, like once again, there's so much to it. There's obviously just, the ability to process more in a quicker fashion of how you want to do it. And then there's how you want to weigh in on, on how the hash looks at the end or like, cause a lot of times like I'll obviously I see if things once at least a lot of things get received when they're dry for me. So then I can actually like the hash will be more of the exact same shape as it should be. As opposed to if I had a couple little small spots that change differently on how it felt through the screen the first time. Um, so that's always a good thing to be able to do. And see is that, and then like receiving it in a sense, because then you can kind of like change how it looked. If you kind of like, it was like a little too broad on the screens or something, allow it to dry a little more if you receive it like that in case it clumped up in a certain area or something. But at the same time, if it's seeped well at the first time, like I'm also on the fence to where I'm just like, man, like, do I sacrifice the look of the hash a little bit strictly because it like, and have to agitate it back through? screen again like it's a little less like adulterated just to have it a little uglier or whatever if you want to consider it that and it uh just you know i don't know i feel like also too sometimes when i do that when it's not uglier in a sense but just like definitely not fully uniform hash like sometimes that tends to be once again like you're right like the word stability changes it's stability in the form of the trichome like nucleating is one thing as opposed to even just stability in the plant genetics and shit like that for what it's going to do so there is like a lot of that like with misinformation but yeah like something i've noticed from sometimes once like once sieve tash as opposed to multiple sieve tash is it's it doesn't butter up nearly as quickly but it could just be the strain you know 
there's once again, it's like basically pro science or somebody just from my experiences with it, of what I've seen, it's like how I, how I see it and approach it. So. Yeah. And I mean, I think that's what everybody's got. And I think that's the cool part is like when people share their experience, you know, it, I don't know if experiences are right or wrong, but it might help somebody else down the line or adapt their environment or adapt their variables. So I think it's cool, man. And I appreciate you sharing that with us. Let's move around a little and let's talk about the magic of cannabis, because you said you feel that there's no science that can really encapsulate what cannabis can do for someone. And also in the sense of not being able necessarily to replicate it easily or at all in the sense that you've tried to mimic rounds of cultivation and it's never quite the same similar to what Brad of 710 Labs brought up in the sense of it really is an agricultural crop, whether you're growing it indoors or not, and there's going to be variations. And you called it unpredictability. And you said that it's beautiful, but that it's also difficult. So talk to us a little bit about the beautiful part and then the parts that are difficult. Yeah, that's like a really good way to put it just in general about like, like plants, plant expressions and stuff like that and trying to mimic something that was already like a room before or whatever, especially, I mean, a great example for me, most of the times what I see is definitely just terpene variant based off of even the time of the year inside sometimes, whether your room stays around the same temperature, you have your air conditioner cutting on more or less during certain times of the year, you have your dehumidifier cutting on more or less, like the room has different taxation on it to allow for the environment to be whatever your environment that you're looking for is in your grow room. So to be able to mimic something even in the same room is really hard. And especially like, I know a good cultivar for me is GMO just because of like the terpene variants that you can see from that plant on purpose, even like take it 10 weeks and then take it 12 and turn it into hash, at least in my environment with my grow process with Korean natural farming and living soil, I see a huge difference in what the flavor of the plant is. Obviously for me, a bit, a big thing that I know a lot of people I speak on this with, uh, some people are like, they see me put up like Death Star. I took it 90 days and turned it into hash. And people are like, why did you flower that plant for 90 days? And I'm like, well, one, like I kind of just get lost in the garden when I'm chopping it down. So like, yeah, I started on all this shit trying to get it chopped up. And it was 90 days when this is going in the thing. But at the same time, like there's been times I'm like, yeah, I want to take this really long. And I'll, you know, for me, 12 weeks is like pretty common with a lot of shit. And a lot of people don't have the patience for that. And I don't know. It's, it's something once again, like for me that the passion outweighs the mathematical process of it, that honestly, like I'm, I'm pretty damn good at math and shit. It's just never been something that I applied to something like this. But in reality, how I look at it is one, I'm going to have a better effect plant from taking it to where I want to take it, whether it's earlier or later, different plants, I enjoy different ways. I'm going to take it longer. And most of the times the ones that you have to take a little longer, like I feel like the weight outweighs like what you get back out of the product for allowing it to go. It's extra time almost always outweighs you of just cutting it earlier to the point where like I've never really sat down and been like, how much can I turn out of a room? And is it quicker for me to like cut it earlier and have a smaller yield? Or is it quicker for me to, or do I have more at the end of my year if I, you know, harvest weed 
at my pace that I'm doing that and maybe have a little extra weed every harvest, but you have like one less crop or half or less a crop a year or whatever. So I don't know. It's everybody weighs that differently. And for me, it was never about that number. Like I was more worried about like, what's the shit going to smoke? Like, <laughs> you know, like that was where I was at. I was like, fuck dude. Like, and it's fun. Like, why not? Like if I could take something longer and if, I mean, obviously you run a plant, you either, you either run it yourself and you know, from the genetic or you just, you just grow the damn plant, whether you scope it or however, plenty of people don't scope shit. They just grow a plant. They look at the flower formation. They're like, the plant's done. And like, that's cool. You could do that for sure. And there's so many processes or ways to go about it for sure. But like, if you're on the farmer standpoint and I don't think, and if you're not looking at harvest windows or plant playing an effect in what you're doing, then whether it's monetary or if it's based off the effect or whatever, there's some reason that you should be looking at that. You know, it's like, there's a, that's the reason that that's like should be focused on. Yeah. So let's talk about farming a little, because you told me your first introduction to KNF was back in North Carolina with an old head. And then you started using the technique or I don't know the system. What is it really? And so you can answer that in a second, but just to finish the thought, you basically started using it to grow food. And then eventually you were like, well, it grows pretty good plants. Maybe I should do this with weed too. So, so tell us about kind of your progression in growing. Yeah, of course. So like, yeah, I had a, I was thankful back in the day, man, just to, you know, be able to wash hash for a couple people when I lived like in North Carolina was really, this was like even pre-rosin, but just in general, when everything really was, I feel like taking a turn for everything and everybody really was obviously like, we're learning so much and stuff's going on. It was just a thing that I was like, man, this could be like something I could do with my life, you know? And it was something that I really enjoyed, like enjoyed fully, like insanely. Yeah, man. Like thankful to be around some good people. And early on, like having the ability when I was just like learning how to wash hash, like I started with just some trim and some dude was like, I thankfully was making some good full melt from some trim I was able to get. And like one of my buddies just reached out that like, had seen me post hash or something on my Instagram making hash. He called me one day and yo, I got some shit frozen up if you want to run it. And I'm like, I'm like, what? Like, I didn't even know you grew like type shit kind of already had known him, but it was just <laughs> right. funny. And I'm like, I'm like, yeah, like I'm down or whatever. So it was a cool introduction. But yeah, for farming, like I ended up meeting some dude from that guy that he was just like posted on Instagram. So there was, there actually was like a small culture of people out in North Carolina that were just like in different areas growing and shit. And, uh, it opened all that for me, which was pretty crazy. Cause I met this dude. Yeah. And he was like, he's like a third generation bee farmer. Like his whole family is like raised, like he was, he basically, everybody's in his family's had food production basically in there. Like, you know, that's what they do. And, uh, yeah, he was, I think like basically he was already doing like living soil and everything when I first like started talking with him and stuff. And he had just started to like make ferments and he had put me on the unconventional farmer, which I can't, it's uh Gil Carandang is the guy's name. And he learned from master Cho. That was the first thing that I had ever seen of it. My buddy sends me the link. He's just like, check this out. And I'd been sharing like a bunch of no-till stuff with him. And like you said, yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't in the perfect situation to be able to grow weed in North Carolina. <laughs> Let me just say that. I was just like, yeah, I lived like in the city and shit. It wasn't like, 
it was already, it already had put me, my freedom at risk plenty of times just because I was in sure, yeah. with the plant. So it was something that I had to really just like put on hold. So for me, like learning all that KNF, it was definitely a dive into it that was honestly, I'm kind of thankful to have had it when I was a little more weary to grow weed because I read about that shit way longer than I, before I was like, which a lot of people that reach out to me, tell me this. They're like, man, they're like, I've read all this shit, but they're like, like, where do I start? Or like, whatever. I'm like, bro, you just start. Like it'll, it'll catch, you'll catch the bug or you don't. That's how I looked at it. And it's different for everyone. Don't let my learning process do be the same for yours. Don't, if you feel off put from it and you're like, this wasn't for me, like, and maybe it isn't. Think about how you learn. And if that's something that you face and you have to overcome, then do it. But like for me, I was I read about it and just dove in and like the first thing I made was lactobacillus. And I'm so glad it was because it was the stinkiest one that I feel like there is out of all of them. It's an easy herb process and it's not like, you know, like it's natural almost in all the other ferments, but like you can use it to speed up the process of all the other stuff. It's definitely like I remember feeding it to seedlings, just like when you just be giving them water. And I diluted that down to like one to 1,000, maybe even 2,000. And uh, these plants were just like praying to some shitty little T5. And I'm like, damn, dude, like these plants like that, you know, like that was the biggest reason I started to grow weed again, I feel like was KNF as well. Like at least in a situation where I shouldn't have been, well, should have been, I don't really, you know, everybody's different, but that was, I was willing to, risk my freedom for growing with KNF. It definitely, it sparked that interest in me to be like, fuck, like this is fun. Like, like you said, I was growing pepper plants mainly outside and shit like that. It just wasn't the same. Like it, the response that I saw from the plants from, from KNF, when I started to do it with cannabis, maybe it's easily cause it's indoors and all that's kind of naturally happening outside anyways. It was different. Like I was like, holy shit. I'm like, I got to see how this fish amino acid or this, this fruit FFJ is going to work like on weed, you know, like I'm like, shit, like that's going to be sweet. And so it was just like a, and it, you did see a different level of response. I've even given some of those, even stuff that doesn't rely on biology, like fish amino acid, for example, I've given that to salt growers that were like, yo, that's a good ash fish product. They're like, my plants looked a lot greener after feeding that. And like, that's so cool to me, you know, it's like, it's there's so many lanes to it. It's not all about like, you know, like we could all grow weed and grow some proper weed. It doesn't mean we got to do it the same way. But for me to share my experience and whether it's like I have friends that have learned from me just about living soil and they went that full, just like living soil, real minimal input style route, as opposed to doing a full can F feed type thing, which is like what I, when I have the time and spend more time doing, that's what I like to do is like a full can F feed, even with the, environment that you've like built you know because for me personally i feel like i see better yields when i use knf ferments like i truly do like i think when i use certain products that i've that i've made they just like even just like seed sprout teas and shit combined with with ferments it's different to me than just running a room and giving it coconut water and aloe water and you know, maybe a couple supplements of other stuff. It's just, everything's going to be different. It's about what learning what like you want to do. And I remember super early on, some guy telling me when he smoked my shit, he was like, it was another hash maker. And he was like, he smoked the weed and he was like, uh, we smoked like a backwoods and I never smoked backwoods of like flour. Like I never, it was never, I had before and they were good. Like somebody rolled a nice fat backwood and it tasted like flour, but that was like what I wanted to achieve was the flavor of the flour. So I usually smoked like a paper if I was going to smoke like flour, you know, that was like what I, that was the flavor I looked for. 
yeah, this, we rolled up this fat ass backwood or some shit. I don't remember, but it was just like, first time I smoked like a proper KNF backwood. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> and it was like way after I've been growing it. I'm like, damn, this shit is good. And he was like, he said something about how that shit smoked like hash for him. Like, and I've had multiple people tell me that they're like, yo, like this, cause they'll have the same cut from somebody and they'll be like, yo, that's not like that shit smokes so much better when it's grown in living soil, even not from my garden. I've had, I've had people that have given me flour for sure. Multiple people that their first fucking round of growing with living soil. I'm like, yeah, that's just way better than the cut I I've ever had from the person I gave you that from shit that I've never even ran that. I'm like, you know, it's just one of those things where, but we all reach and we search for something different from cannabis. So that's just what I'm geared towards, you know, and I had to learn that. And it's definitely like an ego check type thing. And I think that's something with especially organic farming that unfortunately it gets a bad rep because of some truth to it, which is like people really are, there's some egotistical people and there's people that are really set on the ways of what they do that they'll tell you nothing else out there is going to work for what your environment is or anything. And it's like, that's why you have to weigh it all, man. Like <laughs> some, something somebody tells you does not mean it's going to work for you. Like, you know, it's growing weed is the perfect example of that. I can go read on fucking plenty of forums, the most counteractive different shit where somebody's like telling you to do this and the other person's telling you to do the exact opposite. And you're just like, I trust me, I've had my frustrations of sitting at the computer, like trying to learn how to grow weed, <laughs> thinking that was how you learn how to grow weed. And everybody's different. Like you definitely learn from that. I've learned from a lot of people, even just off Instagram, but like application that like to me, that was like, that's everything. Once you actually start to experience that shit firsthand and apply it to you, that's when you really, I feel like you learn, you know, like that's when it's like, damn, like, Cause it just makes me think about when I used to grow up and I knew so many people are self-taught with whatever the fuck they're doing, playing guitar or some shit where I'm like, they just are so good. And you're like, yo, what the fuck? Like, I know people that take lessons for what you do and they're like nowhere near as good as you. And I think at the end of the day, it's the passion. Like once again, it's just like those people, they were so like overwhelmed and like, just they dove like all in. They're like, yo, this is like, you know, I'm going to engulf myself in this shit. And like, yeah, man. Immersion. You know, I think immersion is a powerful thing. It doesn't maybe work for everyone, but I think for something that you really enjoy anyways, it's kind of a little easier to, you know? Yeah. hundred percent. Like, yeah, it's just like one of those things that at a point you just, it changes kind of how you maneuver, I guess, with it. Once you actually start to really like study how it works for you. Cause I mean, Obviously, the person a person would be lying to you if they said that there was no influence of like what they're doing off of somebody else. Maybe they don't know it, and that that's just because of the their mindset or who they are as a person that they don't realize it. But like that's to me that's ego, a hundred percent. And there's a lot of that with this with this like growing world, especially. Same with the hash world, actually. Maybe even more. It's definitely one of those things that. People, I think a lot of people feel the need to clout chase for, uh, to like build a brand. And like, I hear it a lot from some people like, man, it's mad respect to Wook Sauce Winery and, and, uh, and Todd at Resin Ranch. It's just mad people I could think about, you know, like where they're like, man, like back to this, like, you don't need a label to sell your fucking hash, man. Like, let your hash speak for itself. Like, your hash should easily, like, you get that shit in a parchment paper. And it could be the best hash you ever smoked. Like back to me living in North Carolina, I still personally think to this day, the best flower and some of the best weed I've ever smoked came from a guy there that like literally was just on his shit, 
whether it was this dude worked a full-time ass job and just cared for his plants as a hobby. But all I know is like the love was there. You know what I'm saying? Like it was so, and he was that minimalist mindset where it was just like, but he was also that old school ass dude where everything this dude grew, he took a hundred percent Amber. Like I'm not bullshitting you. He only had four plants to scope basically. So he's like, I'll scope these big ass plants in a couple different spots, check the trichomes, see where they're at. And he, everything he took was like super long. So I remember early on, like when people were like, especially as an air dried hash maker where the water actually does oxidize the hash more than it would in a freeze dried environment to where the color shows a little more. I was like blown away. I never had dark hash, you know, I'm like, yo, this is like maybe some purple strains that were a little darker and once rosin became a thing, that's a good thing that I'd like to speak on too, is a lot of people look at, they smoke with their eyes. Like they, I hear that a lot from a homie. It's like, I hear it in general. And it's just like, it's one of those things that like, I've always thought about like, where I'm like, it's so true. But there's strains when I, I, like I said, I like to take GMO longer. And when I take GMO 10 weeks and then I take it 12, you can't really tell a difference in the resin as far as the water hash you're smoking. Like when you go to clean it up out of a nail, sure. You can maybe see a little different in the color but not until heat's added. So when you look at rosin, if I take it longer from GMO, it's darker, you know? And it's a little off-putting if you take it longer, but the flavor profile for me is one reason I would do that with that strain. But a perfect example of something opposite is Death Coast. Like I've taken Death Coast fucking 90 days. I've squished it and it looked like CRC or some shit, you know, where you're just like, yo, that is so white. Like I could only imagine if, and I, I've, I think I've seen it freeze-dried, but I know another dude that produces a good bit of it. And it's definitely like, it's light as fuck. Like I've never seen it dark ever. Like I've it's just one of those strains that it just doesn't, unless this trichome degrades, you know, you might see it actually change color. But to me, that's not trichome degradation. If you're actually taking it full amber and chopping before the plants like fucking dead. I don't know. It's a fine line. Definitely. And that's one thing too. But I think the biggest reason people look at hash and they, they definitely, some people are misinformed. They look at the hash, they see it's lighter and they think it's cooled early. That's not always true. Like I just said, basically with death coast or something, but also it's just like one of those things that a lot of people do think, Oh, that's like degraded over time. This wasn't supposed to be like this, but one of the biggest reasons that stuff gets pulled early is strictly because of the farmer. The farmer has a bedroom that's overgrown and he's like, Oh, I need these plants out of flower so I can refill it because if these grow too much, they might be beyond the point. I got to clone out all this shit and wait a fucking month to refill my room. So people sacrifice, you know, like their veg space and everything just to be able to crop their room where they need to crop it. And they're like, that's how they base when their plants come down. They don't base it off of like what they want the effect to be like from the plant. They're just, we're going to chop the plant now because I got a whole room to reload it and I need to get them in there. So I'm curious, let's tie in a few points. One. You said this farmer whose weed is still the best that you've smoked or some of the best from North Carolina was taking the heads to when they were all amber. Now, let's relate that to you taking the Death Coast 120 days. Is that what you told me? No, no, not 90, 90. <laughs> yeah, so, <laughs> taking the, so yeah, taking the Death Coast 90 days and... Then relating both those points to what you said earlier about like how you feel when people pull early, they're sacrificing biomass and in essence, like more trichomes, which produces more products. So, so here's the question. The question is, if you take it longer, you have more trichomes, 
do you ever find that when they're quote unquote ready for you, you've lost weight in oil in the sense of like you've taken them past the point that most people tend to want to take the trichome, which is like at the quote unquote apex when it's like biggest and fullest. Do you feel like when you take it longer, that trichome is shrinking a little, but at the same time, what you're gaining from that outside of more biomass, which maybe makes up for the trichome loss in a certain way is more effective. Like is that profile stronger, more effective, however you want to phrase that? Um, like, yeah. So one of the main points from what you just said, I want to say is once again, like the resin percentage compared to like resin per square foot. Like, I think that's like something that should be weighed in that a lot of hash makers, if they're not a farmer, they don't understand that. They just know they're getting this amount of fresh frozen and they, they can fit this much in their, like their barrel or whatever they wash with. So they're like basing in their yield off of a number, you know? It's just one of those things that like back to biomass. Yeah. There's strains like Death Star, for example, almost every time I wash it, it hits 6% fresh frozen after rosin with what I keep for full melt and what I squish. And I'm telling you, I can take it longer and I have more material. So I'm getting more hash technically out of the room and I'm not losing a number based off of like how much more I acquire in the last two weeks, like say I checked it. But once again, you know how it is environmentally, like just cause I took the last room 10 weeks or even half of, of a table, like, Oh, I'm going to take half the death star at 70 days. I'm going to take the other half of it at 85. So you have 10 and basically 12 weeks. You can see a difference for good. Like one of my best yields ever, as far as per table with the same strain, at least with, which, which was what with GMO, sorry. Yeah. With GMO, my best yield, I think with it was like over 7% after rising, but it wasn't the best, most hash out of that room. Same room, my best yield was like 6.8, but I had like way more hash, you know? And it was just based off of like, even for sure, I've had that happen where it was the same room. And I'm like, all right, I'm going to take this GMO at like 70 days. I'm going to take the rest of it at 85. And yeah, like I had more hash almost every time. So I was like, yeah, in the hash to me, the reason, especially with something like GMO, I was doing it was for the flavor. Like specifically, I was like, I liked it either more sour or like this like sweetness would come out of it for me, one or the other, when I would take it longer. And I, like I said, I couldn't even have control over it. I've tried to grow it in the same room, like take it 85 days, same room, you know, and it's different, but it's always different, better than just straight to me, GMO. Like I love that that funk though that's what i think is off-putting to a lot of people is that real unique to me that was skunk man like i don't you know like i didn't get to experience much skunk like i get skunk like like cat piss skunk and shit like that and like that side of like the ammoniated type thing that comes along with like skunk and roadkill skunk and shit like that like but more so in the sense of like i just know that from from stories, <laughs> you know, like I didn't get to experience much of that, like being right, cat, right. basically all that shit. So it's like, for me, that was, I remember the first time I smelled GMO, I was like, man, that's like, that's what I want. Like, I love that funk. Like I love so much shit like that. That's like, I'm really into gassy, Kimmy, sour and funk. Like, that's just like where my realm is. I'm not much of a fruit person for the longest I used to want to search for like a, like a rotten fruit, not like orange. Like we were talking about. I like that orange sharp orange too, for mainly the effect. Like I can't smoke much for the flavor, 
but like the effect is so good that I can't not smoke it, you know? You know which one I feel is kind of a rotten fruit, at least for me, is the papaya. The papaya has that kind of vibe where it's like it has that a little bit offensive, but like really nice back. And so like you want to like really get in there. And so it's it's an interesting, it's an interesting combination, I guess you could say. Yeah. Yeah. Papayas, even those styles of fruit, you're right though. Like I've seen outcrosses of it, just offspring of it in general from papaya that there's multiple expressions back to even like how the orange profile has that rottenness almost like I think like papaya can definitely almost have that aged profile where it's like that, you know? And I can't really think like, I feel like I remember like blueberry strains similarly having something like that back in the day. Cause like, I, obviously it was something like blue cheese. Even, oh dude, you know, it was like, the blue like cheese. Blue I actually cheese. used to really like blue cheese. I know people, some people like don't, don't Probably hate on it. Yeah. But yeah, yeah blue cheese was like, I, I was it. like, yo, that was like crazy. Like, I was like, this is just like cheese, but like fruit. And like, this is weird, but cool. Like to me, it was, you know? Yeah. So. Yeah. For me, especially that one, because like I was real early on, I was getting so much of this cheese and it was, it was called big Buddha cheese or whatever. It was from that big Buddha seed stock. I yeah, believe. Yeah. But I want to say it was the Exodus cut. If you've heard of the Exodus code, just like, I, yeah, I mean, at least from where I was coming from, like out in Oregon and stuff, I'm like, man, to this day, I wish I could get that. Like I've heard, People's all green cut of it is, is supposedly that. But all I know is that was like the stinkiest weed I think I've ever smelled. And it was so cool. It was this unique, sweet toe jam. Like it was like so gnarly. And I bet it would have made the best hash. Like I don't even care if it yielded so mediocre. I would just, just to be able to have that in a jar and smell it would just be like, you know, enjoyable. Like it's crazy. Like that's definitely something I searched for. Like for the longest, I was always looking for this like fruit throw up. I was like, yeah, I want this fruit, but like thrown up fruit. Get, I remember having it back in the day and I was just like, yo, that's so fire. If I can get that in this, any type of clone seed form and then try to make it hash, if it doesn't hash already. And I think raspberry strains had it. I remember now there was a raspberry diesel and there was a cross that I ran for that guy in North Carolina called Dog Jam from Can Adventure Seeds. And, uh, Honestly, anything from them hermed. I'm not, I can't lie. Like I, I got to tell it straight, <laughs> but like there was so many, like my homie had this hermed out dog jam. It was a uh, raspberry diesel to something to, I think Kim dog. Yeah. And it was, or jazzberry jam was in it, which had raspberry diesel in it. Some crazy cross, but dude, this shit made some of the best hash I've ever had. And it had similar profile like that, like a real like gritty raspberry with like a diesel where you're like, man, like it was just exactly what I searched for. I remember being so bummed at Herm because it yielded like stupid too. Like I'm talking price six plus percent crazy where I'm like, damn, we weren't even weighing shit like that back then. I would just, I mean, we did, but it wasn't really that much of like a thing. And back, this was like, I think this is before rousing. So I kept every micron separate for me to really break down the math, I just like had it all full spec and you know, I'm like, Oh, this is what we got back off of this many gallon bags. Like it was roughly this many grams fresh frozen, you know, but cause yeah, I don't remember the numbers on that one, but I was so bummed when I, he told me it was him too. Cause I was just bummed. Like all the, that was one of the first times too. I'd seen like, I threw all of it in the compost pile and I came back. I had so many seeds just popping up in the compost pile. I'm, Fuck. I got to kill these. But I'm like, these things are strong. Like they made it through like <laughs> straight fucking like, you know, 20, 28, the fucking like 30 degree weather. Back then I used to be able to just, I'd always have my water down at like 26 somehow. I, I need to get water chillers and shit and do shit like that again. Cause I bet 
you just save so much in general on everything if you actually do that. And it's easier to really control the wash to have really cold temps. But Right. Yeah, no, that sounds like a cool profile, man. I, I would have loved to try uh, raspberry diesel or something kind of funky like that. And and you're right about all greens. They do have that cheese. I've actually wanted to try it for for years, but I think as far as I know, they're still just like a medical only. So maybe I'll get them on one day and, and we'll talk about it and we'll find out. But I think this is a good opportunity for us to take a quick second smoke break. Yeah, yeah, let's do it up. I always like to take a moment to thank every person that makes up our community on Patreon for allowing us to continue to produce episodes, including episode 29 with Macho Melts. I also want to give a shout out to some of our top contributors, including Nick the Intern in Michigan, Jonah in Chicago, Kevin from Lifted in Dina, MD Melter, Kyle at the Garden of Greece, D Pesci 44 in Connecticut, the crew from Heritage Mendocino in Ukiah, Mario in Illinois, Jeremy in Washington, Adam and Hannah of Mission Hill Melts, Dave of Gastown Fire and their awesome Davin Breakfast, the Green Cedar Retreat, our good friend Jendo420, the homie Big C, Mikey of MTS Farms, Theo Groves in NorCal, Hash and Hedys in SoCal, Chris aka The Real Cannabis Chris, the boys on the Big Island pressing full show, David from Rosin Evolution, and the bro Solventless Slater in Pennsylvania. Thank you for listening and I hope you continue to enjoy the episode. All right, cool, man. So, you know, we left off when you were talking about separating washes and grades. So let's talk about microns, melt, quality, and experience all together. And, you know, like I told you earlier, I think it's interesting to see how people's experience kind of molds them and gives them their kind of frame of reference as to how they're thinking about things. And one of the things that I definitely feel happened in your trajectory as a hash maker that kind of changed it for you was a situation where you had moved from North Carolina to Michigan, I believe. You were washing for someone. You basically had an agreement as to the distribution between you and the grower, but to make sure everybody was getting their fair share, every single wash and every single micron of every single wash was kept separate. And that's kind of how you guys made sure that everybody, you know, got their fair share. But it also taught you a lot about resin or trichomes and uh, micron ranges and what I've talked about before, if you want to call it maturity or, you know, how that translates into the experience or slash effect. So Talk to us about what you learned during that period, how it kind of changed you moving forward and some of the cool things that you were able to experience by doing that. A lot of the best thing, yeah, about that, even like with my own garden, when I was like still growing and just like super small scale, able to like wash stuff, it was still like right before rosin was really becoming a thing. So like I wasn't squishing anything into rosin. So it was nice to have everything separate because you could really grade hash and actually see like what strain does best and what prof or like uh, in what bag, and even be able to see a difference in the profile with strains with like a strain from the one twenty bag that would still dab as good as the ninety, you know, but the flavor profile would be slightly different, or even the seventy three if it was dab. 
worth dabbing, you know, the string like that. Obviously, with, when you pull the plant, kind of playing a role in that. But I don't know. The One of the biggest things I think that I really gained from being able to air dry hash like back then and trying them all separate was like one time early on getting some really good 160 micron hash that was like fully dabbable as water hash where I don't know if, I mean, I would have probably if I was mixing stuff and just guessing, basing it off of, you know, oh, this stuff's not going to wick out and look good. I probably would have mixed it maybe with something else that I would just would have used for pole topper hash, you know, like super early on to where I was like, damn, that's actually like melt, you know? And yet change that aspect for me because there's a lot of strains that I'll run them longer and they give me way more 120. That's like way clean and super good compared to 90 to where it's just like, in my eyes, I like the full aspect of the plant. So I really just mix whatever I feel is worthy of like 120 and 90 from plants for water, for full melt is basically what I do. There's definitely 73 I could keep, but at the point where to the demand for rosin is so much there that it's like, I can't, I can't justify keeping any of that, even the first wash. Cause then it would just, you know, it's like, it's a whole thing in itself. Like I definitely keep only basically all my rosin is just first wash 73 and then second and third wash of full spec most of the time. Sometimes I'll keep some of the 120 from the second one. It just depends on how much the plant basically puts out for full melt at least. But yeah, so it's like, for me, I think the broad range of things better effect and like actually encapsulation of the plant as a whole, as opposed to selecting down, but selecting down and seeing everything separate is also enjoyable because of you being able to, like you said, grade consistency or like the, the micron levels, being able to grade hash based off the cultivar and just obviously the micron level of the hash that you're smoking. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, I'm trying to think what else I can touch on. Okay, cool. So you brought up some interesting points. And one of my questions is like, what is your process for determining what stays as melt? Like, is it just you have to run it through your rig and see what you think, or you can eyeball it, or is it the melt? Is it the effect? Is it a combination of both? Yeah, I would say for me, it has to meet at least a justifiable melt level for me, which is like five star, you know, like minimal residue is what most people would look at that as leftover in a nail that you can Q-tip out fairly easily. I just emulsify or like I pour ISO into my nail. So it just shocks whatever's in it out of it anyways. But yeah, basically something that's just, to me, the melt factor is there enough. And obviously for me, the effect is going to be there because personally, I just, I prefer water ash. So like, I just keep what I feel is justifiably melty enough of a strain usually. But most of the time now it's pretty easy depending on how the strain does to just only keep so much good hash or like the best resin melt wise, I guess you could say just because of the demand for rosin. So it's pretty easy to just keep only like really good full melt and then just like, like basically be able to press the rosin and have enough to sell it. It's like, 
a thing too. Cause I mean, you could, there's strains like Barber Bud though, for real, like that Barber Bud is just complete. It's basically full melt. Like I could take full spec of the plant and it would just be full melt, like worth dabbing for sure. All the way until you want to toss it. It doesn't yield the best. You could wash it five, six times. You'll probably hit like get five or six spins out of it, you know, depending on how you agitate. Yeah. Probably still be spitting like good quality hash to dab but the numbers would be so dramatically down from the first wash of what you're collecting that you're like yeah probably don't need to be spinning this but it just still spits gold how big is the window in regards to like the distribution of resin of this melt that you're keeping versus what you're using for rosin let's say for example on the first run you said you typically keep the was it the 90 and the 120? And then sometimes you said you could keep the 73, but you typically don't. So that sliver of 90 and 120, how much, like if you had to just guesstimate, is that part of your yield distribution? Or what's the yield distribution between the different materials? It's kind of hard, like without looking, to be honest with you, but I think like half, maybe. I don't know. It is kind of hard to think about without just like real. And the strains are definitely independent. But yeah, I would say probably, let me think. Yeah, probably about half, I would say. Maybe a little less or maybe a little more depending on the strain. But I'm pretty sure almost everything would be at least half or more. Right. And you said, you know, you're more of a milk guy, which is, again, part of the reason I wanted to have you on the show because there's not a lot of people that are like, it seems like you're kind of dedicated to melt, which is cool to me. But you also do rosin because, like you said, it's just the demand is probably even higher. Talk to me about why you like melt. Do you think in part it's how it makes you feel? Do you think in part it's your experience with it prior to rosin? Do you think it's a combination of both those things or is there other factors involved? I definitely think it's a big combination of both of those. Definitely like just the love for full melt passion that's there, I guess, for it, as opposed to like, like kind of even comparing it to like dry sift, like really clean dry sift. To me, that is ultimate respect to somebody that can clean up some resin like that. Cause it might not be my preferred way to smoke it. I probably prefer water hash over really clean dry sift, but it's definitely, the, to me, the most dedicated form of making hash. And I think full melt is definitely just another thing like that. That It's not even like a dedicated form. It's just something that you like. You have to have attention to. And you have to like figure out how to like, like tune it a little better to like really make it really clean if that's what you're shooting for. Like, but to me, it's just effect, to be honest with you. It's 100%. I like the effect of full melt. It's just more of a, to me, like, for lack of better words, compared to the name, like full, it's like a full body high. Like it truly does just like it. The high is a little different for me where it's more of less cerebral and more of something that's like a relaxation from it that I get from almost everything, which once again, it can be played into just my love for hash. So it's like, it's hard to really say if it's based off of the effect of the hash or, you know, but I've shared my experience like or effect with plenty of friends that, or just other people that, you know, a couple of people in particular, I really know though that they tell me, like they've told me the exact same thing of like what I get from full melt. Like they just, that's like what they see from it, you know, other than like, obviously just 
medicinal things and that set aside. So, yeah, man, I've said this before, you know, I, it's interesting. I think it's like, it was maybe Marcus or bubble man said, use the phrase like micro encapsulation of what basically what the cuticle is doing to the oils that are in it. And what the difference of the experiences in consuming hash that still has that micro encapsulated oil to some degree versus not in rosin and how that experience is different. Like the body, I feel like assimilates it in a different way. And I agree with you in a sense of like, to me, hash or water hash is closer to smoking the flower. The effect for me is than like a rosin. That's not to say that rosin is or one is better than the other. They're just different. And so I think from the viewpoint of somebody who came, grew up during super illegal times, kind of, you know, uh, and we were smokers or just like smoking because that's what we could get. It's just like weed or buds. Right. And so I feel like in part, that's why I kind of connect with water hash a lot because there is that kind of like weird part of you that it's, it is kind of nostalgic. Like it, it reminds you of how you started smoking, but it's obviously like uh, this stronger version of it and it's condensed and the flavors are different because they're so together and, you know, it, it changes the experience, but I, I do, I do tend to agree that melt has a different effect on you than rosin. Rosin is to me more like of a, raciness is not maybe the right word but more like of a a spunk or like a kick something kind of like that <laughs> i don't know what the word that i'm looking for is but you know back to the idea of melt though and using that as kind of like your determining factor and then you're talking about the 160 and what you learned separating all the grades and the washes you told me that the 160 was at times less melty but that you were getting a different high. And I asked you if that meant that a better melt necessarily equals a better high or does a better high equal necessarily a better quality? Like, is it what you're seeking in cannabis? Is that more important than, for example, the meltiness in this case? It's actually the opposite with the 160. When the 160 is melty, is usually when I mean, I'll the 160, it can be like pretty melty a good bit of times, especially from strains that are just going to put out larger trichomes in general, where you're pulling like 20 is really the money bag over like the 90 or something. So, like the 120, like some strains, they'll just I've had 190 microns somehow, like before it'd be like good enough full melt to me, and the effect is just so much more to me, like kind of back to like what you're saying, almost like the flower in a sense, but that's what always kind of like you said about just like the traditional style of hash. That was kind of the chase of it sense of with one reason I like full melt, but the biggest thing too, the difference was to me, like, especially early on, I always thought the flavor was so much better from full melt when properly dabbed than rosin. Not that they're, they're both like can be 
really flavorful. I think just a lot of people are misled off the full melt because they over dab it or like over temp it. It's easy to do that. And then also you definitely have people that just like the hash isn't melting enough to like for their palate to want to enjoy, which makes sense too. There's both sides of it. So let's talk about ferment fed melts because that's kind of one of your tags and you know, obviously it plays into the melts, but let's go back to the, to the growing style. Tell me the difference or tell me how KNF and living soil differ, but also can apparently kind of work together to be even better from the sounds of it. I mean, yeah, it's definitely all like basically in, I mean, application and everybody has different environment or what they do for sure. But like for me personally, yeah, I definitely like using still a bunch of like Korean natural farming stuff aligned with all the living soil, even in like a regenerative cycle already. But um, yeah, for me, I don't know. It's like one thing about it is it's just like a fun process. Like it's just everything about being able to make the stuff. I truly do think it at least changes like the kind of what you encapsulate once again, like what you get effect wise from the plant, which could easily just be my experience towards the plant, enjoying it like that, being sentimentally attached to growing a room of weed and enjoying it. So it's kind of hard to really base off true, like, like once again, it's like the magic of weed to me. It's just like, I've always really enjoyed for me, Korean natural farming in general and just living soil, it was the way for me to grow. Like it worked. I was trying to grow before that pH and all this shit and was just like, didn't really enjoy how I was growing. And it was a lot of work, especially for how I was trying to grow at the time. And then even indoors in general and trying to grow, I'm like, yeah, I'm like, it's just annoying to mix up bottles all the time. So I was like, I want to try something different. So living soil for me was just one of those things. Like I'd seen like water, like almost every soil mix I do or the only soil mix I do, you can do water only. Like you could definitely just water it. Like you'll be better off with like a little bit of enzyme, like silicate of some sort, like some salicylic acid, some minor stuff like that you can get. But uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's like, it's all about where your approach and like what you want out of it, I guess. And for me, I was just always one of the things. And like I said, I, I truly do feel like I get better yields on, um, on my stuff from using ferments, at least through flour and even just speeding up certain stuff in veg and which could play into why I'm getting better yields. So it's hard to kind of pinpoint and it's still just the stuff I'm trying to figure out, but it's what, work for me so i'm just like you know I, I go with what i like actually am comfortable with doing to try to like produce something that i'm happy with and uh korean yeah, after farming just always played heavy in it yeah that's cool and then you know back to kind of what you've been saying is like i feel like from talking to you you've adapted it to your own because based on my understanding or what you've said and other people have said there's like you know ratios and charts and and things that go along with, I mean, would you call it a system? I think I, I mentioned earlier, I don't know really, is it a philosophy? I mean, there's like a feed schedule, I guess, if that's what you're getting at, like a more structured thing from it. Master Cho, at least for Korean natural farming, has like a feed schedule. And I follow it roughly, but it's, you know, it's definitely one of those things that's like, you kind of adapt it to cannabis as opposed to just adapting it to 
food production and minimalistic ideals with using it, especially outdoors where in, in reality, like outdoors, I'd just be the only time I ever grow outdoors for even with my food. There's been times I've dumped ferments like diluted and in, like into the, into the plots. But like, I usually, most of the time I'm just lazily going out there with leftovers from inside and watering in whatever's left over, you know, and then, uh, just like watering outside and composting and shit, you know? And so I feel like if I was outdoors growing in the sun, obviously on a new property, like if I was to set up a farm outside, I'm definitely going to use a lot of biology that I can cultivate around the area and apply through Korean natural farming to speed up my process of, along with not only Korean natural farming, plenty of other living soil ideals and just things that people do composting and multiple things with their styles of that just to be able to speed up the process and enrich in the land you know so i mean it's definitely like a thing that outside i feel like it's more once you have it fully active it's definitely not something that's needed for maybe feeding ferments but at the same time i've never really done it with cannabis enough outside to justify if i would be getting better yields actually full feeding and i've seen people speak on it and say that it does, but you know, that's just certain people's standpoints from what they're doing. So it's really cool to see though. And it's just something that I've always enjoyed using to grow and it's, it's what's worked for me. So. Yeah. So let's talk about FFPJ. Am I getting that right? Um, you got FPJ and then you have FFJ. Okay. So and you so have fermented fruit juice and fermented plant juice. So fermented plant juice is a, uh, is a vegetative state basically being used you can use it for transition or even into flour if you really want to but it's uh, a fermented plant juices you and then there's some that you can consider plant juice i guess that you would use in flour but like most fermented plant juices that most people are making are just plant material obviously as opposed to like fruit material even just the flowers of something would make an FFJ, like a dandelion flower, FFJ would be different than the dandelion FPJ because you could take the leaves technically and do it. But I mean, I still, when I make a dandelion FPJ, I'm not like worried about getting a couple of flowers in my FPJ. I'm picking for green, like leafy nitrogen content is what I'm searching for almost always with the FPJ because that's what I'm going to be using mostly in veg, like in veg. So like just stuff like that, clovers, stuff like that are real good to like actually grow and turn into FPJs. Horsetail is really good, but it's not night. I'm sure there's trace nitrogen in it, but it's more of a, it's got salicylic acid, calcium. It's what basically it can help like the cell wall build rigidness. So it would just provide a better rigidity to the cell wall of the plant and just allow more lateral growth in the plant to be able to like more strength on, on its own, you know, as opposed to being having to be caged up, supported somehow, however you, however you basically like manage the garden canopy wise. And give us a quick kind of rundown on how you would go about creating this. Like, for example, the dandelions you're talking about, and I've seen you post quite a few times about Comfrey and I've heard other people talk about that. Yeah. And so when you, you take these, uh, I think accumulators is, is what they're being called. Uh, or what they are, once you take these accumulators out of the earth, you're basically taking them, putting them in a in a vessel, in a jar of some kind, and then it seems like the next major step is applying some kind of 
sugar content? Yeah, basically most of the, so that's the thing as well. Like with the PDF, I'm pretty sure Cho claims to do, or like says to do one-to-one weight. So like whatever your weight is based off the plant material, you should be adding sugar. I personally base it off just kind of what the plant has like juice content wise on the plant already. Also like your style of sugar you use. Like if you have a a clean source for a quality, like brown sugar, that's less processed that still has molasses in the sugar. You'll probably be able to use less of it in the ferment because it's going to allow the juices from that to come back to allow the ferment to jumpstart the process a little easier. So there's like, I mean, it's all about kind of just learning the plants and like knowing a feel for like how much sugar I guess to add. But yeah, in reality, like that's all that you should be, you can add lactobacillus to speed up the process of a ferment. So like if you, if you're FPJ, like some, a lot of people would just throw a splash, like a tablespoon in their FPJ, you know, some lacto because it would add that little bit of like water like of a water's consistency, not water, but like a water consistency because it's just cultured from milk. But yeah, you'd have, you'd be left with lactic acid. That's like super runny. So it would, even just in general, it's going to break down the plant material, but it definitely, and help the ferment process. But like it definitely in a sense can even just make that consistency in a jar perfect when you're fermenting something, jump starting it. But yeah, most stuff, if you just, you match the material well with a good sugar source, you'll be, Right when you do it, basically, you'll see like good production of like juices starting. I just close everything with like a, I mean, you can get airlocks and everything. And like, I guess that would be the key. But in reality, I just take mason jars and use the tops and put paper towels or something like that underneath so it can breathe, but you don't want it to like be straight open. And that's how I do at least fermented plant juices and fermented fruit juices. I've done fruit juices mainly in the, in larger vessels, like in five-gallon food grade buckets, and I'll do those with airlocks because it's just super easy to do with a top. But still, most of the time, I like to do those with just like open air kind of, but just close them up like halfway and put like some type of... With those, I do a paint strainer bag and put them over the buckets. So it's like, you can't really have like, like you know, flies, fruit flies, certain time of the year or whatever, certain stuff trying to get in there. Even if you do them in the garden, you'll have like your, your like beneficial mites from the dirt will go to the ferments. It's pretty wild. You'll have them all over in that area if you're doing it in like a little cupboard or somewhere like that. Uh, you'll find a bunch of them definitely gravitating towards it. So, I think an important point to bring up is something that I found, you know, going through your information is that it's important that the source of the material that you're using is pesticide free one and then two that there's as little human interaction with this as possible yeah of course yeah that's definitely one of the hardest things to be trying to source if you're like in the city obviously or something there that's like one thing that like i mean if you're talking about collecting imos that's indigenous microorganisms so you want stuff indigenous to your area so yes like in a sense you definitely do but you have to list like you have to read the pdf almost in a sense with a grain of salt because it was written in the 60s and not everything is you know set up where he was writing everything in north korea about farming you know so to be able to apply it is definitely different for sure 
in a sense of like you doing it the way that it was kind of spoken about or whatever. So you mentioned IMOs. So IMOs, what function does IMO have within either the living soil or the KNF system? So, yeah, that was like basically the point I was getting at kind of earlier with indigenous microorganisms and just cow KNF. You have to read it and kind of understand like, yeah, if I'm in the city where I might, like I one of the first times I tried to collect IMOs, I was like, I was living like in a straight city. I went to a what I thought was a decent park, got to a good area, collected my soil sample to make IMOs from. And like, it was just ridden with terrible bacteria. I mean, at a point, I think the sugar would outcompete anything, but I would never advise somebody to make that into a ferment, you know? And it was like, so I don't know. It's definitely one of those things that you have to approach it and understand that like, yeah, it says indigenous, but how indigenous, you know, until you can even do it on your own land, like, because just water runoff in general or like the rain, you know? And how did you know at that point? Like, did you have that tested, obviously? Honestly, no, you just, you can even just base that off of just like the look of molds, honestly, in reality, depending on what you're like collecting a sample from and just like, so for example, if you're collecting from a forest area, like you want something that's just going to be pure white, like basically mycelium matter, just because all of that's like what is in forest decomposition. So like, those are all the, that's like all the decomposers that are helping break down everything kind of in the forest as opposed to like, with in my experience you'll see more colors like yellows and oranges and stuff like nitrogen fixing bacteria and fungi and shit like that that like actually it it expresses differently in a in the imo sample than i would say a forest sample does but that could just easily be based off of the samples that i get my forest like where i get my forest samples from but at the same time i mean essentially like that's what you're in a sense, like when you start to read about it, there's definitely way more to it than anything that I know, other than the fact of like where I based it off of like what I learned from Master Cho with just like the, like applying what at what time and how that affected the plant and then like using it, reading and learning from somebody else a lot, basically like a couple other people that were really diving deep into cannabis growing with KNF feel like some of those people are definitely way smarter and they were just like yeah try this do this and then i'm just like damn that works well or that doesn't in my situation and just basically applied whatever like in a sense we thought we could do differently like i know almost all of it i've heard people feeding it's one to one thousands that's like a gallon has three thousand seven hundred eighty five milliliters so 3.75 milliliters basically a gallon so that's less than a, a tablespoon right Tablespoons five milliliters. Yeah. I don't know, bro. <laughs> so, <laughs> to be honest. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's I'm pretty sure it's five and I'm I'm high, so it's kinda hard. But yeah, so it's less than a <laughs> tablespoon. So I'm like, you know, it's uh that's like nothing. I know people that were feeding like oh yeah, tablespoons fifteen, my bad. It's fifteen milliliters a gallon. Cause that's like I knew people that were feeding that, which is almost that's over that's like what, over five times the same concentration. And I've yeah, been three five. But, yeah, like 3.75 and it was, yeah, 15. That's four times, right? It's four times. Yeah, so basically. Yeah. Most so people basically, are feeding five milligallon though. Does that mean that cannabis plants can take more? Are they heavier feeders? 
uh, certain plants are for sure. So like, I mean, almost every cannabis plant is definitely more calcium heavy feeder than like what is available. Like you have to have a good mineral content in your soil to, I've known people that tried to just do KNF and pro mix and I was in like not even really full KNF and in other ways too, that I'm like, yeah, that's not going to work. Cause like you have to have a full process. Like I don't, KNF is not my backbone for growing living soil is, you know, it's just like, KNF is the good implementation of speeding things up, having fun with it, doing stuff that I feel like worked and added a flavor, maybe not necessarily terp profile and even maybe, but just like, you know, a different, you know, field of the weed, field of everything going on. And it was something I connected with and it worked where I was like, damn, especially like when I'd have calcium problems, like, holy shit, like water soluble calcium changed the game for me. I was like, damn, this will like literally correct that quick as opposed to me having to top dress something right now maybe locking shit out if I add too much calcium. And this is like not testing soil or anything, you know, it's basically just off the look of the plant. And that's, what's crazy is I don't, I don't take time for science much when I should, because there's so much that I could benefit from it. But at the same time, like I've definitely always been the type of person to just like feel the plan out, you know, figure out what worked, like kind of, and applying it to what I was already reading about or doing and seeing how it, how it played out you know i mean the only way you're gonna you're gonna succeed is failing a shit ton of times anyways or at least trying like where it's not even that's the thing too is comfortability is easily like it can be established farming for sure where you're just like happy with what you're doing makes it harder to do things outside of that in a sense you know where you're just like you're caught doing that so Last question on the realm, since you said that KNF is not like your your jam necessarily, it's like a supplement to your living soil. So as a current indoor grower, what would you suggest to someone who wanted to start a living soil garden inside? Like how would they go about setting that up? And you can obviously get as much into detail or as little into detail as you like. I mean, yeah, there's so many approaches on how you want to do it. You could grow container style and just living soil, just get some good living soil. You can either add some hot amendments to something where you got to let your soil cook or get something that's already pre-cooked. If you know of a couple good companies in your area that maybe make it or want to order, like build a soil, soil, like from at least my experiences of like my mix is very similar to Clackamas Coot style mix. It's not much off from that is what I like to do. I like it because you can kind of cook it if you want. You can definitely inoculate it with IMO too, and it'll kind of heat it up. But like, I swear I could plant in it the day I make it. I can even inoculate it and plant in it without bone meal and stuff like that. It's just going to be have a longer time to break down, heat your soil up to hundred something degrees type shit. It might burn some clones that are too young to go into it, period. And either way, it's not going to all be available until later anyways, in a sense like that. So, but yeah, I would say, the biggest thing is just learning about either setting up beds or set up containers wherever you're growing indoors. I think that's one of the things a lot of people like that's the most, I feel like people that claim KNF is useless is inside. And like, I kind of think like the opposite almost because you're bringing more of the outside environment into your process. Obviously that a lot of that comes from your compost source having good compost sources and getting a multiple like good diverse compost source is like very important because you already have a lot of beneficial mites and 
a lot of activity with other stuff that's going to help speed the process up. And then, so like ferments, once again, those things to me inside just kind of ramp can speed up that process. And like, I think mimic a little more of nature outside inside and allow the ability to, like I said, as well, improve yields. So especially in containers, if you grow small containers and you're just going to grow like see a green style or something, like I think it's like almost, it's not like a salt feed addition to living soil, but it's definitely its own thing. That's noticeably a program that changed your, your way that it went. I don't know. Yeah, no, I, I totally understand, man. Well, look, I know we've been going a while. I'm still having a good time. If you are, we can take a smoke break and then when we come back, we can wrap it up. So it's cool with you. Yeah, for sure. All right, cool. Hey, I hope you've been enjoying this episode. I wanted to let you guys know that we'll be hosting our first live event on Friday, July 30th in Southern Maine. We're taking coffee and donuts with Adam on the road for the to-go tour. You can follow Coffee and Donuts on Instagram at coffee.donuts.adam. We thought it would be cool to start all the way across the country. So East Coast, this is your opportunity to get that West Coast knowledge in person. Join Adam, myself, and our good East Coast homies, Mission Hill Melts, on Friday, July 30th in Southern Maine in a truly beautiful setting in which we hope to embrace the idea of community learning via interactive curriculum that'll teach you how to think critically about the art of hash making. We'll chill, we'll learn, we'll have lunch together, and you'll get some goodies from our sponsors, including Powers Plates, Rosin Evolution, Six Star Society, Pele Polare, and Rocky Mountain Genetics. And just by attending, you also qualify for the grand prize raffle, a set of Powers Plates. Tickets will go on sale via Eventbrite on Monday, May 24th at noon central. There'll be a capacity of 25 people, so make sure to grab your tickets early. Again, join us on Friday, July 30th in Southern Maine for coffee and donuts with Adam in collaboration with Mission Hill Melts. All right, so let's talk about your brand or I guess in a way lack of because like you mentioned earlier, you know, you're not even labeling your jars anymore because pretty much you're like, uh, you know, if somebody has it, they know it's, it's macho. But tell us a little bit about how macho came to be. Uh, it was like, honestly, kind of just like a joke. Like it was just funny. Um, I don't know. I grew up like, not like super into wrestling, but when I was into wrestling for sure was like that more stone cold, the rock era wrestling. For some reason I was always like, just like geared towards Randy Savage, especially being like Ric Flair was from my hometown. So like, I was like always into like Ric Flair kind of, but just like, I remember that that era of wrestling and starting to look into it. For some reason, that was like the guy that just always stood out and was funny. So he was just funny and just uh, had a had a good uh, everything in general. It was just hilarious. And one time, I was just honestly really high with a homie, and we were like, I don't know how it came about. It was like honestly, probably multiple homies, but we were just like, yeah, Macho melts. It was funny. Yeah, it was just something to like throw on the jars because at the time, like. I mean, even still, like I have homies that are like, yo, bring logos or bring labels back. I mean, I'm probably going to. It's just fun. It's something fun to do. I truly just think, honestly, like it's if if you're gearing it towards something for like marketing purposes for like actually extra money, it doesn't seem worth it when you could if you need to put the money towards like actually or just the focus on the quality of the product, you know. 
as opposed to just the quality of the marketing of the product. So, yeah. Well, <laughs> sorry. I think yeah, that's no, that's cool. Funny. And then you had told me that like the the actual name though came from somebody like making a joke. Yeah, 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 yeah. Basically, it was. I mean, essentially, like we were. Just, I was just like, yeah, joking around. Somebody was like, yeah. So, what's your hash company gonna be called? And then, like, like in reality, thinking about it, one day with some people, like, just high, we were just like, yeah, like, I don't know. I was like, it'd be funny as shit if my like Randy Randy Savage was on a fucking label or some shit, and somebody said Macho Mounts, and it was just like, it was <laughs> funny and it stuck. And I was like, it was just an Instagram name, like you know, it was just funny, honestly. And I was like, shit probably make a funny little logo like it was just kind of just like happened you know it wasn't a focus to make a name out of it or anything but it was just funny right yeah and, uh, and then yeah it's funny because you and i were talking about that earlier and you brought up like how you weren't super into wrestling and i told you that i've never i've never been into that kind of wrestling and uh but i had some cousins that were and randy savage is one of the ones that like always kind of stood off to me because of his flair and like the dress and just like kind of like the antics and then it kind of like cemented it when he was doing the the slim gym stuff and that's the stuff i really remember him most for you know so it's it's pretty funny that you kind of like tied those two things in together and uh, yeah it's oh, kind yeah. of a trip it was just yeah the the promotion man his promotion was uh on point the guy knew how to put on a show you know and it was something that was just funny to me, like at the t- especially to be so young and attracted towards for like even being older and realizing like, holy shit, this guy's like absolutely a maniac type, you know? Cause yeah, I mean, there's like, there's so many countless times I could think about growing up, seeing it, even in movies and stuff where you see him like, you know, and you're just like, he was in the Spider-Man movie, like with, uh, <laughs> I don't remember what Spider-Man it was, but it was with Tobey Maguire for sure. And that's just like, you know, Something about that dude, his just character was funny to me the whole time where honestly nowadays to look like to think about that and how there's like literally a hash company I made based off that dude's like (laughs) kind of in a sense like off just that guy, but not like, I don't know. I don't consider my, like, I don't know. I don't try to showboat in any way. And I feel like Macho Man Randy Savage was definitely a showboat in his own sense, you know? It's almost ironic, I think. And and I think that's kind of what's, it's cool for me, you know, but at the same time, correct me if I'm wrong here, but you were kind of already doing macho melts. You were obviously in Michigan at the time and you were doing your own thing, but you were also working with someone else. And I, it's funny cause I told you in a private conversation, like part of the intrigue in talking to you has been, hearing about that because I feel like you've referred to this or almost hinted at the fact that you had a bad experience. And so I'd like for you to talk to us about it and not necessarily like specifics, but maybe what you learned from it and what somebody else could learn from being in a relationship with somebody in, in like business sense with cannabis. I think the biggest thing is like really in all reality is trust. Just truthfully like aligning yourself and putting your word and whoever, whether you're working in the cannabis industry or you're whoever you're smoking product from, from the cannabis industry, because 
I've definitely, yeah, I've, it changed my aspect seeing like I've seen people basically poison people in a sense, man, where I'm just like, it just is crazy in reality. When you see somebody, you see somebody spray something crazy, smoke the flower and you're like, it, nothing changed about how it was before and when it was already really good to you. And then to smoke it afterwards, knowing what was on it type thing. And then just like, you know, it, at least for me, like it changed how I looked at cannabis because like it made me feel like for a minute I only wanted to trust stuff that I grew to smoke you know and it was very unfortunate to have to think like that because you should obviously be able to share weed with your friends and be like yeah this is you know you already know what they're growing with hopefully or whatever like or not care there's obviously people that just they don't care about how the cannabis is grown as long as it smokes good to them but I think a lot of those people are not informed enough about what they're putting in their bodies. And then other people definitely just don't care. They're like, we're already smoking. And so they're just like, even if it helps them for whatever else, they're not worried about the health reasons of smoking something that might not be as quality of the best product they can be getting. It changes how people look at stuff. But yeah, for me, it was just a very bad experience with people that I spoke really highly of their flower was honestly even really good and shit. And it was, it was nuts. It opened my eyes for sure. You said something to me like, I'll never forget smoking a joint that tasted so good, knowing that like it had been sprayed with something heinous, like at week five. Yeah, week five, Eagle 20. And I'm like, yeah, I was blown away. I was, it smoked like, I mean, I, as soon as somebody told me what it was, they knew they didn't really care. The person that had the flower of it, that I ended up like trying it from, cause this dude had, this dude's like released it and shit. And I'm just like, yeah, I'm not working here. Like, you know, that was definitely like the final breaking point of working with some people that I was already just a weird experience. Like I learned a lot about, you know what I'm saying? Your vision, not definitely not being the same. What's my, even entails them of what they entail that they're like guys are going to do just because a lot of people are sometimes will just use you to further their try to like further their successes or whatever they're like looking for out of the relationship, you know? Um, but yeah, just in general, it was a bad experience to where it made me definitely not want to trust people. Like that's like the only reason I wash for optimal garden basically. And don't really reach out to people to really wash gardens I'll wash like the homies and stuff every once in a while, some random homies, but, and I'd have like my, my other homies that I know they didn't wash their own shit. They're doing their own thing that are honestly killing it. Like, well, you know, right? I'd wash their stuff, but it's never, for me, it's a trust thing. I don't want to, especially, uh, especially as water hash. I've had my, I think that's why water hash or not water hash, just rosin, solventless in general. I think that's why there's such a, uh, such a hype for it is you can turn some very mediocre flower or whatever, you know, like looks good even, but it's not going to smoke that good, bland high even, and definitely no flavor in a joint or flavor in the flower form. From a garden that would be like that, when it would be good from living soil, there's very, you can tell a difference if you're like, I feel like a true like connoisseur and you smoke enough of living soil solventless compared synthetic you can probably tell a little more if it if it affects you differently but it's not the same as like me putting organic flour in front of you and organic or organic flour and synthetic flour in my eyes but there's also 
bad organic, bad tasting organic weed and really good tasting synthetic weed. It's all in how it's grown. But a lot of the times I feel like living soil flavor can outdo the best, at least salt flavor, salt grown, salt grown weed I've had. That's like flavor, flavorful, which is a good bit, but I don't know. It's just different. So I can't remember yeah, what you're exactly talking about, but. Yeah. And you told me, you know, back to the Eagle 20 spring, you said something interesting to me that I don't quite remember, but you said that it stays in the plant cell walls and that. So even if it wasn't that cycle that got sprayed necessarily, it can be in the genetics for years or like maybe at least a year or something like that. Yeah. Um, so it's, yeah, it's a systemic fungicide. So like it'll live in the cell wall of the plant. It can build up in concentration in the cell wall of the plant over time. Um, for how it releases from the plant, is it's dependent on your growth style and a lot of things on how well I'm pretty sure that it's actually going to leave the system of the plant. But I've seen people say that they cloned out of plants like six times generationally and it still was testing with mycolobutanol from when they got a plant that had it. But at what percentage, I can't remember off the top of my head, but <clears throat> they still, it was still in the system of the like plant over six generational clone outs. So, I mean, even at two months of veg time cycle, that's, tw- that's a year to clone out six times. So a month to me is six months if you were like vegging out. So it's kind of dependent on how long somebody took on the process, but it was an organic farmer. I can't remember for sure who it is. So I don't want to say, I think I do, but. I don't yeah, no, yeah, no worries. And, you know, based on that experience, I'm curious, just on a personal note, like, do you still smoke other people's cannabis? Like, if you don't, if you don't know them, per se? It really depends the situation, I guess, you know? Like, yeah, with certain friends, but not, like, an excessive amount, really. For the most part, I feel like most of the people I smoke with now, like, they grow so i mean i either trust what they smoke or i don't know i don't really hang out with that many people to be honest with you either now so it's like it's not that many people i smoke flour from or like right anything from i'll try hash for sure if somebody brings a flavor over that's either from in-state or out of state and it's something i want to try i'm not gonna like say no you know and then but other than that i trust like my friends like that's it like I think about my friend's word and how I feel like they'd feel about my health if they care about their own health, obviously. To me, I don't know. Everybody looks at it differently, for sure. Like, I started to grow organic weed just because I was like, why would I not grow it organically? I didn't care about my health at all or anything like that. And I thought organic weed tasted better even at the time. Like, I was just like set on that. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to grow organically. I didn't care at all about my health. And that's, once again, like kind of how it shaped me as a person. I have definitely, I'm sure the older you get, you start to care a little more about your health anyways and shit like that. But like, like growing that lifestyle kind of made me want to like care more about my health, you know, and actually like focus on that. And then like still have a bunch of improvement on that. I feel like in my own life and just, we all, I feel like there's a fine balance of what you want. So it's been a cool process like that. I feel like the biggest thing from that, I felt like this experience that you had, you said that you were fueled by it, but that it also opened a lot of doors for you. It kind of definitely did in a sense, open doors. I feel like either way, it would have just been inevitable, like the, whatever I'm like, what I'm doing right now to just be 
just me and some other dude basically I watched for and just me like doing my trying to do my own thing with it. But it definitely like fueled fueled me a lot to just be like, yeah, fuck this. Like I just wanna be able to produce clean medicine and do like my thing with it, which was I feel like the whole goal always has been to produce clean medicine, no matter what. That's just like the biggest goal. And now it's it's basically like if you're gonna put me in a garden to work, I I better be able to do the gardens, run gardens the way that I know how to run the gardens. If you want, yeah, you being confident in like what I could do in the garden, that actually has to apply to like how I can garden. Obviously, like at least what I have experiences in doesn't make it any better than something else unless it's produced better, you know, but, uh, but yeah, it kind of reiterated for you that like you could do it and that like, like you said the word confidence. And I feel like that kind of was a good launching point for you to have confidence and to be able to do this on your own. And then, like you said, in the end, you're a hobbyist hash maker, but at the same time, you're a source of relief and compassion for a lot of people. So I think that's pretty cool, man. And I'm curious how you feel about kind of like the whole journey now, kind of looking at it and and thinking back on it. It's, uh, I mean, to say the least, it's definitely been like, I couldn't see it any other way, like about everything, you know, like how many people that I've been able to connect with through like my, my decision of even moving to Michigan, you know, I, obviously there was plenty of times before I thought moving other places and stuff and just never really had the ability to like, I just didn't want to. I was, there was things that held me back to not want to, you know, move. And, uh, I was like, yeah, just, I don't know. Everything happens for a reason type shit. So I just let everything play and I'm thankful to be doing what I'm doing, man, for sure. And like, just thankful to be able to like kind of sustain myself and grow cannabis and do it without going to jail. Like a lot of people do, man, which is what's the most unfortunate thing about cannabis in reality. But yeah, it's just, it's a nice thing to be able to actually touch people with cannabis and then like be moved by a product that I can help them with to just connect them with something that, you know, for me, it's, it's no matter what, like, it's cool if I can make a product. I just, for me, if I can relay you to somebody that can make you a product is also a big thing for me. It's just on that messenger thing where if something helps somebody and I can help you somehow, if you can try it, trial and error with it, then by all means, that's like the point of it, you know, kind of on that like for the right purpose morality thing, just align yourself with the people that you share your information with and Obviously, certain people really are like going to be appreciative and use this stuff. Yeah. So you said something kind of funny to me that kind of like encompasses this for me. And and I think you said something along the lines of people justify prices with gloating. And you're like, it would be cool if people were gloating about low hash prices versus high (laughs) prices. Yeah. Yeah. No, that, that would be really awesome, you know? Especially because, I mean, I feel like that is one of the best things about living soil and approaching it with organic mindset is uh, very low overhead. And if growing outside, yeah, you're like looking at basically like pretty free resin in a sense other than manual labor. So, and you can definitely justify like to me, I feel like you could justify lower prices 
based off of that, growing a more sustainable approach on a larger scale outside. Why would your prices not be cheaper? It makes sense. It doesn't mean your product is any less good. Your product is probably 10 times better than what somebody is producing inside. In my opinion, I love sun-grown cannabis. I think if it's done properly outside, that produce, no matter how you're like producing it, maybe not as much as flour for people, but I think that's also just preference too. But as far as live plant material for, for solventless, like I think you can drop prices from growing outside. Like, why, why, like <laughs> it doesn't make sense to not. Like, I know how little of an effort, but not effort. That's stupid to say, but you know, definitely more manpower, like more man hours, but. It's definitely not, it's not like more cost effective than growing inside, obviously. And if it were to scale up like that, do you feel like the air drying can scale up with it? Yeah. If you like hone in on it well enough, you definitely can, especially if you're only air drying uh, the full melt. Yeah. Big time. You could easily scale up super hard. At least I know I, I know I could, and I've seen people doing it on large scales, air drying all of it, certain strains, especially. Yeah, it's that's super easy. At that point, it's just building out a decent, like you know, knowing your production level and being like, all right, this is what I need to be able to do. But yeah, it's definitely still one of those things that at a point, personally, like I know I would instantly start to freeze dry my rosin grades. If I was to like super up like my my production, you know, it right. would make sense to it wouldn't make sense to not. I don't see any difference. I've heard people say they get higher yields, but I don't I don't trust that enough without doing it enough like myself, you know. So just to make this clear, you're still making your rosin from air dried material, right? Yeah. And do you find that there's any difference between for example, some of the freeze-dried rosin that you see versus the rosin you're making from air-dried? Well, no, no. I don't freeze-dry anything of my own stuff. So I haven't like, you know, I can't, I can't yeah, see a difference. That's what I'm personally. saying in comparison to, to other people's. And, and that might not be like a fair comparison, but. Well, yeah, it's just kind of hard to tell, you know, as opposed to like if you're comparing it to yield percentage of like what's mine's getting comparatively to me air drying hash because i mean the strains are different even if it's the same strain or same wash it's just something that i feel like it's like everybody collects hash differently so what they're collecting for what is different but i mean i guess if you're squishing it all into rosin then it's a little easier to justify a little bit on how far somebody's agitating a plant to compare a yield to somebody else and then base it off of that but yeah right and so do you Sorry. think that we'll ever see a freeze-dried melt from Macho Melt? I guess if that's what the people wanted, like that would be dope, I guess, you know? I feel like if there was a point that the product review was there enough that I was like producing it on a level that people are like, you know, a large, I guess if it was a larger scale and people were like, yeah, you should do some of that freeze-dried, then I would. Because, I mean, if I already was just running a freeze dryer for the rosin, I could just put it on a different tray, technically, and just or even separate it on the same tray. But I'd prefer to not probably do it like that. But either way, it's, it's easier to justify it, for sure, if somebody actually wanted me to produce it. But I've never really felt the want to produce freeze-dried hash myself. So 
I would probably gear myself if it was my own company or like something that was like more of what something that I was doing. Yeah, I'd want I'd want it to be air dried hash for sure. But I'd work in a scenario if it was the right scenario and freeze dry hash for sure. You know, it's kind of all just dependent on like really just the right people type deal. And that's how it's always been for me is just doing what I'm trying to do and hopefully it working out with like where I'm just able to continue to do it. <laughs> you know, it's like thankful right. for that for sure. No, that's cool, man. And, you know, I know you didn't have a ton of experience working with dry material. You kind of, from what I remember, you jumped into fresh frozen relatively quick, but do you have a preference? I mean, I, I don't know if that's a fair question in the sense that maybe you don't have enough experience with the dry, but, I'm curious. Um, I think it's strain dependent, but at the same time, like also what you're searching for, I've washed dry whole plant from a dude, like that dude actually back from North Carolina, he didn't want to trim some weed. So it was just like whole plant that he just bucked it basically right into bags and gave me it. And it was, I want to say it was like definitely like close to three ounces of weed. I basically washed with leaf on it. I got back like almost a 20% yield after rosin back in the day on this dude shit. I'm talking like early rosin days. And I was just like blown away. I'm like, that's good, good ass yield. Like I'd never really grown anything to dry material to compare it. So I'm like, damn that probably, and it didn't look like a ton in the bags comparatively to what it would have been fresh frozen. And I'm like, damn, it's like, that's like definitely probably like, cause I always hear 17 labs say it, quote me if I'm wrong, but it's like either five or seven times the fresh frozen weight if your dry material is like your fresh frozen percentage starts at like 3% for fresh frozen, that's supposed to be like 15% dry. I mean, I, like- I, I don't know exactly. And obviously I'm not the, I'm not the guy because I'm not doing it, but from my little understanding, I think the ratio is like almost like a one to four. So like, you know, if you had whatever three, a three percenter, it really is like a twelve percent return, um, gotcha. or or something yeah. along those lines. I mean, that's what that's what I would agree with. Definitely is around that area for sure. I just see people talking about it differently for sure. That's like the thing, like. But uh, yeah, everybody's different. Like I know seventeen labs. I think there's five is what they claim. But yeah, that's how I felt. I've gotten yeah. That's it's back, always so. good to talk about it, you know, because everybody has their own their own take on that. Yeah. And also I think a lot of it's garden dependent too, just because you have uh, like the water content, you know, of a plant, how much it can hold alone. I feel like plays a role in like kind of like your weight, but at the same time, that is a good way to put it. Cause like, I mean, most people gauge around a pound of like material dry would have been like about 2000 grams, fresh frozen, give or take maybe a little more. So, you know, that's like 450 to 2000. It's like a little over, like four close. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Between four and five, somewhere, somewhere in there. Yeah. So I don't know. It's all, I'm sure it's kind of dependent. That's like the thing about it. And that's one thing that's really cool about washing hash from a grower standpoint is being able to just justify like kind of out, out of what the room from what you see. And like, if you're already like helping patients out with flour and you know what you can get out of it, if you need to, like, obviously everybody has to like, if you're, if you're trying to live off of it, you have to sell like sell at some some compassionate rate, but something. So it's like, yeah, it's kind of on how you justify that. I feel like it's with hash making is different than doing it from a flower standpoint where 
you have to figure out like, well, yeah, what am I like? How much square footage can I pull something from that makes it worth it? Like, what if I was pulling weed out of here? Kind of, but at the same time, like it's depending on the person. I don't think I could ever really grow for flour. It's just not me. And it's, I enjoy smoking hash. So what the hell would I do for hash? Like, <laughs> yeah, you and I were kind of just both uh, talking about how like, uh, for both of us, for kind of different reasons, it's like, we like it in the sense of like, you, you were saying it before, you know, smoking like inside when you were actually smoking the herb, it's like the smell and it would stick with you. And it's not as like efficient. And, and there's a lot of different like layers to it, but, but yeah, I, I, I can see the appeal for sure. Yeah. I think with hash, that's like, what's crazy is for sure with me, it's production. Like, I can get so much more done smoking hash than I can like smoking flour. So it's just what always worked for me. And by hash, I mean, basically any of it, I'm just a little more like, like high energy person already and really easy to just kind of do stuff that I'm not like all BHO a lot of times like hydrocarbons definitely can onset anxiety for me if it's like a little overwhelming of a high and it could easily just be of a too concentrated THC content with everything else. That's a little less of like less, like, I don't know the process where you just get more tail and cannabinoids with something like solventless or even I'm sure certain styles of hydrocarbons, but I mean, the effect is just differently for good reason. Like that's why I think everything has its purpose or point, you know, in the journey of the weed, you know, everybody's different for sure. Right. Well, last few questions, man. And I really appreciate you hanging out quite a long time with me. I don't even know how long we've been talking, but I know it's been a long one. Like I said yeah, earlier, sure. I've been I've been enjoying our time and yeah, you, you got a good vibe. So it's been fun. But if you had to pick a plant count number that you feel one person can manage in a garden and still be very attentive to every single plant, what would that number be? It's hard to justify it off of a number because you can, I feel like more accurately justify it off of square footage of like canopy as opposed to that. But at the same time, like, yeah, if you're keeping up with a lot of plants, like clones that you necessarily aren't always using, but it's just stuff that like you're either breeding with or whatever. that's like a whole thing, but I don't know. It's hard to really say like, yeah, if you keep up with a lot of strains and you're doing another project, then that's like a lot of plants already to have to be keeping up with. And it's, lower your focus on how much you can produce cannabis wise as far as flour or hash or whatever that you're doing as one person or however many people uh, that you might have helping you or whatever, you know? But yeah, I would say plant count wise, like, I mean, shit, like I don't, that's what I'm saying. Like I've seen a couple States that don't do plant counts and they base it off square canopy. And I think that's smart. I think you should have unlimited square canopy space for vegetative. So you can keep around as many plants as you want. So that allows you to keep around anything for a patient. Say that somebody needs something, but, and they like to rotate stuff. So like if you have the the disability and like this works for you and this works for you, but you don't want to continuously smoke one of them, you could have two different things to smoke and have somebody rotating those in a garden. If you limit only their flower space, which I think it was Washington or Oregon that used to do at a point for the medical that's what that's what they should do. They should just have a limit on flower space and allow you to only flower in a certain amount of area because that's where you can produce like obviously cannabis. You can't even produce seeds without that. So it's like 
basically all the money that's in it. You got to flower it. Veg is just like, I guess you can take clones and sell clones and do shit like that. But it's just one of those things that I feel like is, it allows, sure, it's more lucrative if you just have unlimited that. But like at the same time, you have more patience being helped, which I think overweighs any of that. So if you can have more clones to keep around, because the amount of people I know have thrown shit out because they're like, yeah, just can't keep it around anymore. And I'm thinking about how many people I'm like, yo, like think about all the people that like, like that shit. And they're like, yeah, it's just the way it is. And I'm like, damn, like that's unfortunate, but it happens for sure. People get tired. Farmers get tired of growing the same stuff or, you know, just having to keep up with stuff if they're not growing it all the time. Most people are like, fuck this. I'm never going to run it again. And then they throw it out <laughs> right. a year later. They're like, damn, why did I throw that out a year ago? It's like clones or Pokemon cards nowadays. People are like, damn, why did I, why did I throw out my Pokemon card collection? Yeah, it's funny like that, man. If you had to pick a forever cultivar, what would it be? The one only thing? A one only thing, yeah. Oh. Well, there's a couple. I have a question for you, actually, for it then. So this is based off of knowing that it would hash good or if it doesn't or if like anything would hash good. That's a good question. Now it's like a, <laughs> a, a separate scenario, but let's go with, so what were the options again? If it hash well, if it didn't hash well, and if anything could hash well. All right, let's just go with the, the wildest one and say, if anything could hash well. Probably um, 1991 Kim. 91 Kim, skunk VA cut, whatever. And whatever this is, is, I'm assuming probably, those uh, like super chemi profiles that you were talking about earlier that you enjoy yeah but just like a heavy honestly i'd just say death star let me just leave it at death star because i know i just love death star too much to not answer that we'll leave it at death star that's a simple answer i should have said that to begin with no i don't know if you'd be as productive michael because you told me earlier you didn't get that <laughs> <out of> death star <laughs> yeah for sure but that would be the one that would have to be the one yeah, i'm just messing no that okay cool man I don't know if you smoke a lot of other people's hash, but your favorite three hash makers, or if you can't answer it that way, maybe the three most influential hash makers in your eyes. Let me think. I could probably even just do those separate. That's like how, like for sure. I don't know. Half the people that influence me, I don't get to try their hash that much. So it's like kind of unfortunate. Like, yeah, let's do it. Let's do a two part like question. Pua for sure. Camden, I don't get to smoke his hash. Which is funny because have. he's told me that like he's dying to try your hash because he loves. Oh, I know. We've been like, trying you know, to make just, it happen, kind of. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just funny. At some point, but yeah. So like, I mean, definitely Camden, probably definitely uh, Kush Kirk. Because I don't think I've tried this shit, and I don't know honestly for a third one. I'm sure there's somebody. But yeah, even even so for like even people that like I smoke their ash that I really enjoy. I one of my buddies out here kills it as well. Definitely heavily inspiring for me now for sure. And uh his name his hash name's Hugo Hash. And he's doing living soil. Yeah, he's honestly blessed me with like a lot of hash that I've been able to try just otherwise because he would just like he was connected with people and would get hash and let me try full melt from mad people like garage grow other people for sure that I definitely looked up to that air dried and shit like that. So yeah, I mean shit like that's always been pleasurable for me. So 
three hash companies. I mean, I'd say him. Oh yeah, I mean, I could definitely name like Ati Ash for sure. Like Ati Ash, talk with him a lot about living soil and stuff like that, and he's a super knowledgeable dude. And I've never, I don't think I'm probably tried his hash. Actually, I think I've had something from him before that the homie blessed me with. But yeah, I mean, definitely would like to smoke more. Uh, like trying to think, it is so funny. Like you're saying, when you try to think about it, it's like because I was, I have one, so I'm like, I'll just think about somebody else while I'm naming this person. I'm like, I can't. <laughs> right. I don't know why. It's just hard to like kind of. Oh yeah, and simply Adam for sure. Like if I could try simply Adam's hash, or I have, and that shit was fire actually. And yeah, definitely have looked up to him as well. Uh, a lot of people, honestly, still that could be named in reality for people that I would love to try their hash or look up to them and assume that their hash is something that I would definitely enjoy smoking and indulging in, you know? All right. Yeah. I understand about indulging in hash for sure. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if you don't like, I mean, there's I like back to the point of what you're saying earlier, almost about like how to check hash. Like, yeah, everything has to, for me, be smoked if I'm putting it in a jar, like, you know, Dedication Rising. to quality control. Yeah, yeah. You have to take a dab <laughs> for the for the sake of science. It's for the people. <laughs> it really is, dude. That's what's crazy. It truly is. It's pretty funny. Um, yeah, man. It it is funny. And 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 like you said, it there is some truth to it, which is I think what makes things usually funny when there is. But uh last question, bro. Who would you like to hear come on the show sometime? And who have I not seen on here? That's like, that's like the thing. You make it hard on people once there's so many people have come on here that are like, I really can't think of somebody off the top of my head right now that probably hasn't been on here. That's going to be another one that I'm going to have to sit here for a minute. I'm trying to think like, yeah, there's every single person I could think of has been on here. Dude. The only people I could think of wouldn't want to do it. Like I'm being dead ass honest. It's not like anything against like the show, you know, or you, it's uh just, they're like they wouldn't want to do it whether they don't want to be on a like yeah, platform yeah, no, like that I, or I they're just like ogs that. and they're like yeah i'm not i'm not doing that whether it's they don't want to put the information out or they just don't for want sure. to talk about shit like I, that. I don't but look i this, this so is i don't weird. know it's i've never i've decide. never made a suggestion but like you brought him up earlier and he's never been on the show is maybe ganja gill oh damn really Yo, yes. Holy fuck. Yeah, bring on Ganja Gill, man. That dude is that dude's cool as fuck. And I would love to hear him just talk about hash and his journey. Um he's a cool ass dude and honestly kills it. He's I've seen him kill it on multiple levels of this. He's had experience in this like on so many aspects where it would be really cool to hear him talk on it, honestly. Yeah, yeah so actually I'll Crazy. say he uh I I'll plug uh Shaping Fire because I, I think it's a cool show and a cool platform they've had him on and it's a really good interview. So, you know, I don't necessarily know how much better I could do <laughs> per se, but uh, yeah, you know, maybe down the line, that would be something cool. Cause I, I, I think you're right. I think he, he had some interesting points to talk about in his other interview and, but yeah. So anyways, it's funny. I, yeah, I, I you never, know the deal too, as well as like, man, some people can just talk about stuff, you know, and I'm sure it's easy to not, like get like grasp everything with a with a podcast no matter how long it is to the point where you know it could always be 
like I shit out. One of the first people I thought the name was Camden. I'm like, bring Camden on. I'm like, dude, you know, but I'm like, he's already done an episode. So it's like, it's not right <laughs> to do that. But at the same time, I would listen to half the people you've already had on speak again, for sure. Multiple times. Yeah. Some so people not, like have asked me about having people on again or whatever. And, um, yeah, and it's sure. not that it's I don't, like, it's not that I don't want to, or anything like that weird, but like, I just feel like there's also so many people making so many, there are so much, so, many so much interesting work that, you know, there's only so much time. And, and really for me, it's like, comes down to whether like, if I want to, do I want to pump episodes out or do I want to make each of these, like the absolute best they can be, at least for me, you know? Yeah, no, that's a good, that's a really good point too, especially for sure. And yeah, just in reality, that's like the best point made about just, there's plenty of people out there that would, uh, like in general, you're on a platform that's allowing people to share up a lot of stuff. And so having somebody else on with another perspective is definitely better than just sometimes having somebody else on that was already on, even though obviously things change and people don't, even if they didn't, somebody still has different things to say, but you know, of course, yeah. I get no, it completely that there's just a lot of people out there gifted, killing it right now, like and doing something with cannabis that like needs to be, expressed more on a free freely form of like people being open about what they do and like what they're passionate about and for you to be able to provide that for especially hash like especially solventless like that's like a this is such a good platform you know like and that's why i'm so thankful to have watched this grown so much because it's you know from the beginning like i'm like this is this is something we need this was like a piece of the puzzle that was just not there it's there and it's not, you know, it's like, there's other forms of it that are a beautiful thing too. And a lot of, especially nowadays, there's a lot of platforms in general that we could talk about that, whether we're talking about organic farming, just cannabis in general, uh, even solventless hash and just hash in general. I'm sure there's plenty of platforms out there putting out quality information, but I've just always been thankful to, you know, know about the hashy gin because it was definitely one of the ones that I felt like was just, like I said, kind of that missing piece of the puzzle of the time of what was going on and then bringing it all there, how, how it was brought was like to me what it was about. So, well, Hey man, I, like I told you earlier in the conversation at the beginning, like I, that means a lot to me and I'm super appreciative and I'm, I just feel incredibly lucky and, and blessed. And it's just, uh, I still trip out and I'm tripped out about talking to all these cool people and not only being able to highlight their stories and, their struggles. And like you and I talked about, you know, privately, like using these platforms to kind of maybe uh, cut the learning curve for people. And and you brought up a funny point about your friend saying like, yeah, they can't catch every, they can't catch all of us, you know what I mean? And, um, yeah, and, yeah. and like you said earlier, you know, that I think it's important to acknowledge that a lot of people have uh, suffered a lot. A lot of people have gone to jail are still going to jail. They're incarcerated for, really petty stuff and and we're we're some of the lucky ones so yeah i just thought that was worth mentioning yeah no 100 percent. that's for me that's crazy honestly like i haven't mentioned that at all to begin with with all of this because it means a lot to me like actually like to think about that and just the people before that really set a platform and a foundation for everything because that was like you know major and we wouldn't be where we're at i'm sure i mentioned somewhat on it but it's just like I know that we would not be where we're at with all the people that risk their freedom for this. And like, just in general, and like, I know at a point with me, I watched 
literally somebody I know almost go to jail for attempted murder over like some weed that somebody tried to rob him for. And I was just like, for me, that was like a thing where I'm like, I remember like justifying how much weed it was off of like one time I was growing it under lamps and I'm like, damn, that was like fucking like a couple hundred dollars. Like sure. It was like a thousand right. something dollars worth of money if you want to sell it street market value. But I'm like thinking about it from a farmer standpoint and I go, fuck this. Like I got to move. Like this is crazy that people, <laughs> right. are, you know? And so I don't know. I don't know if you want to add all that shit, but you definitely can. Like, I just didn't know if that's like, yeah, no, I mean, like really I've told you before, but... man, these, these typically go out pretty raw. Uh, so, so yeah, yeah of course no, this will all stay in and, you know, dude, again, uh, I said it multiple times, but I really appreciate you. It really has been fun. I appreciate anybody who's also stuck with us this long because this might be the longest one yet, which is kind of starting to become my my specialty is to keep continue making these longer. So <laughs> I don't know if that's a good thing or not, but uh, let's hope so. Again, this was Michael, aka Macho Melts. You can follow him on Instagram at Macho Melts, but he's not selling you the brand. So, you know, um, that's kind of cool. And you can always follow us at the Hashish Inn. That's the Hashish INN on Instagram. Yeah, we'll catch you next time. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to the Hashish Inn. If you like the podcast, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and give us a review. Until next time.